Well, thank you, everybody, so much for joining us. It is shortly after 4 p.m. Jupiter Standard Time, Sunday, April the 12th, 2009, or in the Hebrew calendar, Tuesday. So I hope that you're doing very well. We have a guest up here. The estimable Carl has decided to join us. Hello. He is a man of few words. <laughs> Fortunately, I average us out. So, uh, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I don't have anything particularly important to uh, mention up front, but uh, other than to say uh, thank you, as always, for the success. I just finished calculating the statistics, the vital statistics, dare I say, of the FDR March uh, reach around uh, media reach. And uh, what we have is 411,000 uh, podcast downloads, video views, uh, and that's uh, not counting uh, all of the articles that have been reprinted at other places, and it's not count counting blog hits and all that kind of stuff. But that is some pretty fine stuff, and thanks, of course, to the support of kind donators, um, we have uh, over 60,000 60, books have been downloaded, which is some good stuff. For technical philosophy books, that is a runaway bestseller. Uh, it is the Dan Brown of philosophy. So that's good stuff. And uh, uh, not only has uh, 60,000 uh, uh, free books been downloaded, but a, a large number of them have not been downloaded by people who claim to be interested in philosophy, and that has huge value as well. So <laughs> uh, I did a... Um, uh, a, a uh, debate recently, uh, and then I just <laughs> got so annoyed. I, so I was talking about this with Carl today. I thought it was an interesting topic. Okay, I'll do a brief one, and then I'll take questions but, uh, or comments. But you know how libertarians are really around the gold standard. Oh, real value, real value, tangible value, none of this fiat money crap. Well, it just kind of struck me that a lot of people, like words are the fiat currency of philosophy, and deeds are the gold standard of philosophy. And I was sort of talking about that in my post um, post-debate sort of list of suggestions for people who want to debate. And so, uh, you know, you can fake words, right? You can say, I'm a virtuous person, or I have integrity, or I have courage, or I have all of these things. You can say that sort of stuff in the same way that you can print money if you, uh, if you run the Fed. But the gold standard of philosophy is our actions, not, not words. And uh, I would just strongly suggest that people will always try to draw you into uh, the world of words, the world of manipulation, the world of metaphor, the world of, of uh, aggression, the world of verbal, where you can make up uh, and twist and turn and so on, right? But uh, I strongly suggest to really try and stay in the world of actions, right? Because actions are empirical, and we consider ourselves to be rationalists and empiricists, actions, what people do rather than what they say, is the empirical truth of their personalities, of who they are. You know, actions speak louder than the words. I can't hear what you're saying over what you're actually doing. I would really say reject the fiat currency of words and focus on the gold standard of actions in your debates with people and really try to remind yourself and remind others as well, as I try to do, that if you want to talk about ethics and lecture other people about ethics, it's important to be ethical first yourself because uh, it's really not much point trying to teach stuff, things that you can't do, right? 
I mean, just as you would not be likely to take a 350-pound asthmatic guy who never got off the couch as your gymnastics coach, it's important not to listen to lectures on virtue from people who are not even displaying the basic and common virtues of honesty and integrity and so on, right? Like the, was it the brain police guy that I debated with who in the debate with me was, you know, oh, I had a great time. It was really enjoyable. Thank you so much. It was valuable and so on. And then, you know, on his blog the next day, uh, I read that I'm manipulative and false and, and uh, uh, lie and, and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, man, <laughs> if you can't even get the basic integrity of not being two-faced, uh, I don't know that I really want to hear. In fact, I know for sure that I don't want to hear about your ethical theories in other areas, right? So just something to, um, to mull over. I try to remind myself of this. And when I try to remind myself of stuff... I will also try to remind you uh, so that we are all, as they say, reminded. So, <laughs> Sorry, that was my... Uh, oh, never mind. Okay, so that's it for my Hamana uh, Hamana. If you have uh, questions, comments, issues, tra- uh, praise, uh, bling bling, uh, please uh, do hurl it at your monitor and I will listen closely. All right, well, while we're waiting for people to uh, finish their vocal warm-ups, uh, we um, will uh, have a look at a question that was posted. Uh, somebody said, no Skype name. Uh, he rode through the desert on a Skype with no name. But maybe a question is violence, like in movies uh, such as Terminator 3 or Quentin Tarantino's uh, movies, something boys and men innately enjoy, or is, it, or is, that enjoying, uh, or is enjoying that a form of trauma? Uh, should we turn to the panel? I'm getting a certain amount of drool from Isabella. Mom is about to nap. <laughs> Carl is... Don't. And um, no, he's not. He's just uh, a little under the weather, right? Yeah. So um, oh, I guess it's up to me. <laughs> Let me snort a few uh, lines and let's roll. Well, I would say that um, violence to me in, in, in art and in movies is something that I, I can't do. I, I can't do it. I can't do it. And this, uh, this happened to me. Oh, gosh. When did the movie Casino come out? It's like the early 90s. It's, 15, 20 years ago, there was a scene in Casino where they pop a guy's head in a vice and squeeze it till his eyes pop out. And I, I literally, like I almost, I, I, and I'd seen violent movies before, but I, I just felt this revulsion and I, I, I left the theater and I, I was just like, I'm not doing it. I'm never going to look at that stuff again. And I would get up and fast forward. I will, like, we will not uh, see we saw the movie Revolutionary Road and wouldn't watch near the end, right? I mean, and that, that was not even overt or, you know, explicit. So uh, myself, I can't, uh, I can't do, uh, uh, you know, sadistic violence in movies. Um, you know, I mean, this a debate that's been around before, which I'll touch on here, which is that, you know, cartoony violence in video games. Like, I'll play a violent, uh, I'll play a video game where, uh, you know, I'll shoot rockets at a robot, you know, or whatever, right? But to me, it's pretty cartoony and uh, does not have that same kind of, uh, you know, sadistic or evil feel to it. Um, so... I think that to really get off in that kind of violence would be evidence of uh, prior trauma, right? Uh, if, you have, if you have experienced a lot of violence in your life, and particularly as a child, that violence is completely overwhelming to you. And the solution to the violence that is overwhelming as a child is, as we touched on, though not explicitly last Sunday, is dissociation, is the separation of your, emo- your sort of live and rich emotional experiences from your environment because it's too, it's too much, right? In the same way, if you get hit with a taser, you'll probably pass out, right? It overwhelms your body and, and you, you futz out. 
And the problem with that, and there are many problems with that, I mean, first of all, it's very healthy to do that as a child, right? Dissociation is better than uh, insanity, right? So um, it is very good to do that, uh, very healthy to do that as a child. The challenge, of course, is to repair the empathy and the rich and deep emotional experiences when you are an adult, right? So you, you dissociate, and that's perfectly healthy and the right thing to do, in my opinion, when you're a kid. And then you have to repair that when you get uh, older. And uh, if you don't repair it, what will happen is you have a Simon the Boxer thing, which if you haven't read Real-Time Relationships, won't make much sense to you, but it's our compulsion to repeat a trauma. You have, uh, when you are a kid, if you are overwhelmed and you dissociate, you only feel mastery by mastering violence. You only feel competence by overcoming the stimulus of violence. That is how you feel secure in a way because it's how you master the dangerous environment that you're in. And so when you are an adult, you will be drawn back to either fictional or, heaven forbid, real situations of violence so that you can master violence once more because you haven't processed the trauma and the fear that causes the dissociation. So you will be compelled, like a criminal, to return to the scene of the crime, although in this case a victim. You will be compelled to recreate situations of violence so that you can master and dissociate the terrifying feelings and give yourself a feeling of competence and strength in the face of uh, uh, evil or, or violence. Uh, in, in my opinion, this is the root of, uh, you know, the Saw movies, right? I've never seen one, but I saw a, a few clips of a spoof of one, and apparently there's all these time things where you have to cut off your own legs and stuff like that. Couldn't pay me enough money to sit through one of those. But those kinds of Texas Chainsaw Massacre uh, films are that the people go there because they wish to re-experience the, the sick sense of power and self-mastery that comes from overcoming and dissociating from violent stimuli and it becomes an addiction and it has all of the negative components of that at the more extreme forms of that we have you know sadomasochism where people will actually get erotic pleasure out of uh, uh, humiliation or degradation or violence or even specific injuries or pain to genitals or, or other erogenous um, uh, zones and of course the final extreme of that is uh, the, the way you, you overcome the terror of violence by becoming a perpetrator, right? You inhabit the role uh, of perpetrator and that allows you to kill off empathy repeatedly through violence against others. So I don't think it is a particularly healthy thing. Again, you know, there's kind of cartoony stuff that goes on. I don't think that stuff is particularly horrendous. You know, like the, you know, uh, Bugs Bunny gets hit with the something and birds, little bird, tweety birds fly around his head. All right, sorry about that. Uh, so I was just ta talking about how when you have experienced this kind of trauma as a child you are, and you haven't processed it, and the trauma violence has led to dissociation, then what happens is you are drawn back to re-experience that violence so that you can re-detach, re-dissociate from it, because that is your experience of competence or power or security, uh, but it becomes an addiction and it is a negative, uh, it is a negative thing, in my, uh, in my opinion, uh, as an adult, right? Because... Uh, it means that you are going to be constantly drawn back to that kind of violence. It continually, you're, you're recreating or re-experiencing childhood trauma in order to master it through dissociation. And that is uh, a, a necessary and important thing when you're in a situation of trauma. But it is, uh, I think, a not healthy and a destructive thing then when you're out of that situation of trauma. So uh, that's my sort of two cents uh, worth on that uh, topic. Uh, so if anybody else has anything that uh, they want to add to that or, or another topic, uh, please... Uh, Feel free to jump in. Hello, Steph. Hello. Can you hear me clearly? Yes, thank you. Okay. Um, 
Okay, this time I've written uh, some notes down, so uh, I'm more to the, the point. Okay, uh, last year, 2008, uh, May 25th, on a, um, during a karaoke evening, I was with uh, several colleagues, several nurses uh, I work with at um, my local, local hospital. Um, this, uh, this particular uh, nurse um, in 2006, uh, did, this is, I, I have gotten the consent from her, the permission to talk about this because she's going to uh, publish her story um, uh, online. And I'm helping her doing uh, to do this. Uh, she she was working the uh, overnight shift in the emergency uh, where she works. Uh, uh, in the middle of the night, she got a splitting headache and she collapsed on the floor. And uh, ten minutes later, when she was at the um, in downtown, they've diagnosed her with a a uh, very rare trauma uh, to the brain that is similar to a, um, a brain aneurysm. And she was, she went to a coma for quite a while. She, she came out of it. She went back in and uh, ultimately she was not supposed to survive um, this, uh, this problem without severe extreme paralysis. Um, or, or other really major debilitating um, side effects. And um, on May 25th last year, she came back basically to like to public life and, and to join her friends for the first time to, uh, to do karaoke and, um, and socialize a bit. And in me, it's my, it was my first time I've met her uh, other than when I saw her on her deathbed uh, basically, uh, with her uh, long, beautiful blonde hair shaved completely, and uh, all in a fetus position, and uh, and really, it's, it was totally uh, sad. And and so when she came back on that night, uh, I noticed almost right away her her uh, marked significant change in her behavior vis-a-vis. Um, strangers um, uh, of the opposite sex and the younger the, the more the more she liked them um, what what happened apparently there uh, sorry, I'm just, can, sorry to interrupt you could you just just repeat that last bit strangers of the opposite sex she liked them with the younger yes, they were she, I just she, sorry could you just repeat that point I just missed that yes she she is um she is quite a natural flirt, okay? She was she she has this uh, inborn natural beauty, okay? And she is very uh, comfortable with herself in, in a public social setting, like in a uh, karaoke night, and so on, okay? But um, that night she was like so much over the top, over the top, and in in flirting and and um, and socializing. Uh, with the perfect strangers and uh, boys like uh, 10 years younger than her. You know, she was 31 um, years old at, at the time. Um, and I I was scared stiff for, and I was really worried, worried about her two-year-old son that um, stayed at home with her um, soon-to-be husband. 
and which she didn't know anything about this, uh, what she was doing, uh, her, uh, her behavior at the bar. Sorry, um, she didn't know anything about what? About how you uh, felt? Just, yeah, how her, her, her marked yeah, change uh, in, in behavior, her, her really uh, sad, uh, unreserved, un uninhibited, totally uninhibited sexual behavior. It's, it, it is really that. Right. And, and she, she, she didn't just introduce, she didn't even introduce herself, uh, you know, like usual polite people like, okay, hello, uh, my name is such and such. Uh, I'm sorry to interrupt. This, uh, I'm just getting a number of requests from people for her number. No, I'm just kidding. Sorry, go on. <laughs> okay. And, and you know, she, she, uh, her way of introducing herself that night was like, um, uh, you know, hello, cutie pie, may I sit on your lap? And I mean, it's stuff like that. It was totally uh, disgusting, uh, as far as I'm concerned. And and I'm not nearly as close to her as some of the other fellow uh, female nurses that were there. That uh, some were like uh, 15 um, years older than her, and were much closer to her, and knew her much more uh, well than uh, than myself. And I was shocked and and surprised and angry that. They did not uh, recognize, and if they did, um, you know, uh, intervene in, in such a way that uh, you know they have the welfare of the two-year-old uh, boy that uh, was in the care of her husband that night. And I'm so sorry, sorry, think, sorry. I just want to make sure I understand. How is it that her son was threatened by her behavior at the bar? I'm, I'm sure it is. I just yeah, want to make sure I understand it. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. It's. Uh, <laughs> And I, like by, she might by, a, sorry, go on. You know, by not being a good mom, I mean, you know, um, she, she, uh, I call, I call the expression, you know, uh, she was slotting herself at the bar uh, 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 on, on that on that karaoke night. And, and well, she and I'm sorry, sorry to interrupt you, but I just want to make sure I understand. Like, so she had a brain injury, right? Yes. Right. So I, yes. I don't know. I don't know that you'd necessarily want to put on the moral terms. For someone who's had a brain injury, because it's not necessarily a moral decision that she's making, right? Because exactly. our minds come yes. with—we have inhibitors, right? Uh, yes. um, behavior inhibitors that are developed pretty early on in life, and there are very physical things within the frontal lobes, uh, and it is really the the sort of cluster cloud of higher functioning in the frontal high frontal lobes that are the disinhibit that are the inhibitors for our behavior, right? So. Um, when I uh, uh, when I was younger, uh, I had a friend. Uh, he's unfortunately dead now. He died years ago because he didn't have these inhibitors. And we would go dirt biking. And what? Oh, did we lose the call? No, I'm I'm here. Oh, you can hear. Okay, sorry, just other yep. people that called. Yeah. So uh, what happened? We would go dirt biking, and this guy, uh, Jamie, his name was. Uh, he he was like. He, he did not have risk processing down to a fine art, let's put it that way. Did he have a helmet? No, no helmet. Uh, and, and he would literally, like, ride off a bridge into um, a river without even checking how deep it was, right? <laughs> right? I mean, he was really, this, this did not work for him, uh, this, this risk-reward, right? And, I mean, I don't get me wrong. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of risk, right? I mean, this whole crazy venture is a risk, right? So I'm a fan of risk. But uh, I'm I'm a fan of like intelligent risk or or managed risk or something like that. Not uh, um, uh, you know just cross your fingers and crap like that, right? So uh, so 
he didn't develop that. And, and there is, uh, there are traumas, uh, and these are generally psychological, although they can be physical, right? There are traumas or, or a lack of parenting or aggressive parenting that can result in uh, people not developing the physical brain structure of inhibit, inhibition. Right, and inhibition is really good. Life is a, a balance, right? We want to take risks, but we don't want to take stupid risks, right? Because not taking a risk is itself a risk in life in general, right? Like if it's like, oh well, I don't, you know, I don't ever want to go and ask a man or a woman out. Well, that's taking a risk called loneliness and and you know a bitter old age or whatever, right? So uh, there is no such thing as no risk in life because avoiding risk is uh, just accepting another kind of risk. So yes, so so the thing I would just say is that. Uh, people who have who, who do not have that physical structure, and you can see this in kids, right? I mean, when I was working in the daycare, you could see these kids who simply did not seem to have the ability to process the consequences of their actions. And those were the kids who would like push another kid rover right in front of you, because they just they would have this. It was like stimulus response. They would feel upset and they would lash out. They would push. They would hit. They would take. They would whatever. And and it, punishment didn't matter to them because. It was kind of unrelated. It was just kind of random. And uh, so uh, what I'm saying is that if your friend has had this kind of brain injury, which has caused this, disinhi- this inhibition to, to not be present in her mind, yes. then you're sort of like saying it's immoral for a guy who's lost his arm to not clap. Well, he can't clap because, you know, unless he's a Buddhist, because he's only got one arm. And so, uh, and this is not to say that you shouldn't be concerned or care or try to do something about it, but I would suggest that the, the moral dimension of this might not be the first place to go, if that makes any sense. Yes, absolutely. Um, just, just to uh, give some more details, uh, she said that uh, she went back to the age of, of a 13 and 14-year-old girl, uh, the, the result, resulting of the, uh, the injury. And... Uh, she never understood actually what happened to her until she she discovered this book uh, about a neuroscientist that went on the Oprah Winfrey show several times by the name of Dr. Jill Bolte uh, Doyle, and I and she apparently she she's real. I went to see on Wikipedia and she's all there. And this doctor, she was 37 years old. She she had a uh, some kind of tumor that exploded in her brain. She went back to the age of three years old. She she lost all her knowledge, everything. She was like almost like a uh, a three year old kid that 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 didn't do much of anything. So my point is that uh, the next day I went to talk to somebody at the hospital that knew uh, somebody that didn't work at the hospital was not even in the province, uh, so that they could call her good friend, this nurse, to. To ask her if if everything is all right and uh, if if um, if she could help at all in her into uh, her reimmersion into public life, if you will, okay. And eventually, this nurse, uh, my friend, she found out about this, okay, and she got extremely over the top, mad, and so on. She wanted to have my job, my life, and going. She was going to take legal action uh, against me and tell the hospital that they should fire me and so on. And just this past few weeks, she wrote me a uh, five-page double-sided letter saying she was completely wrong because before she read this book by this neuroscientist, uh, 
she didn't understand. She thought she was totally fine. It was her own business, and no, nobody could, uh, n- nobody had any, uh, any not, not not a right, but any any reason to doubt or judge her mo- uh, motherly behavior in a uh, karaoke night. And and now she she says that I was the only one that intervened. Uh, no doctor, no nurses at the Neurological Institute in Montreal, no, no expert intervened and recognized to a change of behavior, potentially dangerous behavior. No, none. Nobody intervened and, 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 and uh, talked to her fellow friends and, and tried to help, except me. My problem is that I, I'm extremely now, uh, like, uh, I feel really confused and ambivalent about um, all this praise she's, she's, uh, she wrote through this letter that, you know, she, uh, she wants to, uh, to meet me again. She wants to have a nice long supper to, to talk about all this um, because she, she, she is very happy that I intervened because she did have a uh, date rape drug by Hell's Angels at one point a few weeks later um, after this incident, okay? That she, she, oh, I'm uh, sorry to hear that. That's that's yeah, terrible. That she revealed to me. Okay, she she came several times uh, in several bars in downtown, uh, you know, being kidnapped by hell's angels and being uh, date raped and so on. You know, she's a very very uh, attractive um, petite sized lady that is a full of and and I was me. My first concern was the two year old boy. Me, I was risking. I, I was ready to risk my friendship. To her, I was ready to to risk uh, my friendship to all her other friends by association uh, by putting by, by uh, putting this two year old uh, son um, uh, at the forefront. Okay, okay. Now let let me let me just stop you here, right? And uh, I, yes. I, I assume that you're. Well, I'm not even going to assume. I'm just going to tell you tell you what. I, why why are you getting involved in this? Well, I was involved in it. Uh, I mean, now uh, like I mean, no, I'm, I'm, I'm just, you, you gave this woman some help, which I think is great. Yes. Right. Yes. Um, but you say you're ambivalent about the dinner that she wants to have, right? Y- yes, and 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 overall, uh, 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 the uh, the just the just value of. Uh, all this, this, this uh, praise that she's giving to me. I mean, I do not feel that I did much at all, except just well, no. Talk, you did, uh, look, first. First of all, you did a lot because no one else did, right? Well, I, I, yeah. I, I, apparently, yeah. Uh, but no, I'm you, you did a lot, I, and I, I, think you should, I think you should be proud of that. And I think that, you know, hopefully, you will have gotten her to see uh, a specialist, and and you know, she can. She can recreate these inhibitors. The, the neuroplasticity is a very, and of course, I know next to nothing about it, of course, right? No, but, no, but, no, 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 you're exactly right. That is exactly what she's telling me. She has recreated these inhibitors, and she's so much more well off now and, and more sane and more, her, more rational. Yeah, no, no, self, no. See, is, if some, and, uh, how, how, how long ago did she go through this uh, experience, this awful thing with the Hells Angels? That is um, uh, just under a year ago. A year ago, okay. So, so she's doing this work, and that's great. Um, uh, it, it seems to me that it takes a it would take a long time to to rebuild this kind of stuff. I don't know what oh, could be yes. done in a year because yeah, I'm no specialist or even an amateur in this area. But uh, 
but I think that it. I think that what you make the the praise, as you say, in the letter seems very effusive, which may indicate a lack of inhibition as far as praise goes, right? Because the lack yes, of inhibition exactly. with sexuality, with with um, with anger, because you say she was like really enraged and threatened you, and now there seems to be a lack of inhibition with uh, uh, with praise. Yes. So, yes. So my, you know, I, I guess my question would just be, uh, you know, I think you've done your good deed. I think that you want to keep her in the care of professionals, and I think you want to trust your instincts about uh, about the 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 risk and the reward of getting uh, further involved in someone who obviously is still going through treatment for uh, this these uh, these brain problems. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, on that note, I'll leave it at that. And I'm I'm working uh, in therapy uh, through that. And uh, like you said, uh, to be uh, to learn to be proud of what I did. Uh, and um, yeah, okay. So I'll let the other uh, the other people talk. Okay. And I, I say this, uh, you know, with uh, with huge respect for what you did, right? And I understand why the woman is. I can, yeah, I can understand why the woman is so grateful. If nobody else brought her up short and got her to get to the help that she needed, I can understand why this woman see, would be see, so great. I, I, I am angry at the other people that are much closer to her, that I have known her so much longer, that they didn't intervene, they didn't do anything. That I'm, I'm, I'm more, uh, I'm more uh, pissed off at them. Well, why you know, I, I, I understand that. I really do understand why you'd be angry. But empirically, uh, these, this is the fact of life. Yeah, that yes, people exactly. don't intervene. Right. I mean, uh, it, an example of you, you've obviously, you know, listened to FDR, you know, the number of people who are embedded in supposedly moral communities uh, who went through the most you know, horrendous kinds of terrible stuff when they were children and no one lifted a finger to uh, to help them. Right. And these are children, not even adults. Right. And so they have yeah. to call some guy in uh, in Canada. To, to get some sympathy because there's none to be had in their own community, right? Oh, I think we might have lost him. So, yeah, just, I mean, it is a difficult thing to, to reconcile, but it does seem to be uh, very yeah. real that uh, people do not, uh, do not intervene. As, as a rule, it doesn't mean no one, but, and, and the reason people don't intervene is exactly what you experienced, that when you did intervene, you got yep. attacked, right? And intervention will bring attack uh, quite often. I've certainly had a few tastes of it myself, right? So uh, it is, uh, uh, it, people are cautious. They look at the risk-reward and they say, well, maybe I'll be, help to, be able to help this woman yep. or maybe she'll go completely insane on me and uh, she will, um, you know, hound me until I uh, uh, have to, you know, leave the country or something, which is a risk that can happen when you uh, you try to intervene in these kinds of situations. So, uh, they're doing a rational calculation. I'm not saying it's a particularly virtuous one, but I can certainly understand the logic of, well, maybe I'll be able to help possibly, but you know, the odds are that if I try and defuse this bomb, uh, it's going to go off in my face. So, you know, I, I'm again, I'm not saying forgiveness and sympathy and understanding, but it is a rational calculation that they're going through. And we may not agree with their conclusions, but we can certainly understand why they would end up not intervening, I think. All right. Well, uh, thank you. Uh, excellent uh, and very interesting story. Uh, you might also, uh, for those who are interested in this, there's a, a writer called Oliver Sacks, S-A-C-K-S, uh, who's written a number of books about brain injuries and their effects on the personality, which is really quite fascinating because it's, 
uh, it's very important to remember that we have a lot of wetware as well as just you know uh, consciousness. And uh, a book in particular, The Man Who Mistook His Wife for a Hat, is uh, is really really interesting. I actually, interestingly enough, perhaps it's interesting. When I was studying uh, playwriting in theater school, uh, my teacher gave me this uh, as a short story assignment. There was one. And this is going back a while, but I remember the story, I think, quite well. One young man who was in an institution who was in his 50s who literally believed that he was 24. And every day he would, his clock would be reset, and he lived this shallow kind of existence where he thought, he just thought every day that he was 24. And if you ever held up, if you ever saw, he had to have mirrors taken away. Because if, uh, um, uh, if he saw himself in a mirror, he would be completely shocked uh, and scream in, in the way that I do. Um, <laughs> Because the state stole my hair, which is why I'm gunning for it. But uh, it's really and and my my theory because he was an alcohol. This guy was a sailor who joined joined the navy uh, at the age of 24 and drank, uh, became an alcoholic, and uh, alcohol uh, does bad things to people's memory and it tends to do so progressively. And my sort of theory was that the reason he got stuck at the age of 24 was he became he got into the navy. He became an alcoholic. He lived in he was in the navy for about 10 years, if I remember right. So what happened was, as he began to drink, he began to lose his memory until he lost the memory of having gone into the Navy, and therefore he lost the memory of his first drink, and therefore he stopped drinking, which is why he stopped uh, at the age of 24. So he kind of drunk away from 34, 33, 32. He kind of drunk away his memory until he was 24, and then he stopped. Uh, uh, he stopped. He, he lost the memory of even his first drink, and therefore he was no longer an alcoholic, but the drinking had destroyed his ability to create new memories, and therefore he was stuck in this Groundhog Day of a shallow existence at the age of 24 and had no real idea of uh, what was going on in his life. So it is really interesting to look at the biological basis of consciousness. Uh, I mean, it's nothing more than a little hobby for me because, I mean, it's, it takes a huge amount of specialization to say anything smart about it. But uh, uh, I think it's well worth looking at uh, the, the physical basis of, uh, uh, of the brain. And uh, the research certainly does seem to be pretty... Pretty, uh, uh, pretty advanced and, and wild in this area, you know. Uh, so uh, it's just something I would recommend reading up on. Neuroplasticity in particular is a fascinating thing to, to look at what the brain is capable of doing when, uh, when you rewire the brain. Uh, and there's uh, some BBC Horizon documentaries on that, which are just really, really fantastic. So I just wanted to mention that. And uh, uh, this is an area of interest that I think is, uh, is well worth it. It certainly was well worth exploring for me and maybe the case for you as well. So. Uh, that's it for that topic. Thank you very much for the kind caller. Uh, and um, if you would like to uh, bring up a topic or question, uh, I'm curious, of course, because there were uh, a large number of people who um, rode my tailpipe with some severe alacrity, um, so to speak, because they, uh, they think that I don't uh, allow people to debate with me or somehow avoid challenging debates or whatever, you know, because the people posting on my recent YouTube video all seem kind of you know, like uh, decaf may not be a bad idea. But um, uh, so I'm curious if the people who feel that I, you know, don't allow for debates or somehow avoid tough debates. Uh, I mentioned the Sunday show, which has now been running for three years, right? So there are, what, 100 and, probably 120 of these uh, Sunday shows, uh, which are entirely open platforms for debating without preparation on my part. So people could clearly do the research uh, that they wanted to do uh, jump in here and just come at me six different ways from Sunday, so to speak, and uh, uh, they would have the upper hand. Uh, so I'm more than happy to jump in the ring blindfolded with one hand behind my back. If people want to come, that would be great. So I'm, I'm curious if anyone is here from the YouTube channels where they said, 
gosh, Steph doesn't uh, debate and won't debate with me, and I mentioned the Sunday show, so I'm just wondering if anyone is, is here from the YouTube channels who had uh, issues that they wanted to bring up with me. Of course not. Don't be shy, and you can type your questions into the window, uh, because you certainly don't seem to have any problem being very aggressive in the YouTube channel, and uh, now you have a chance to really bring up your issues face-to-face, -face, uh, and I'm sure that you wouldn't want to be, you know, just that kind of person who uh, is, has a lot of internet courage and doesn't uh, actually come up with uh, the real issues from this. So... Uh, uh, I'm I'm here, you know, I, I don't even know what you're going to bring up. You can have the upper hand as far as that initiative goes. I will, I will give you, I will roll for initiative and I'll roll a one and you can, uh, you can do your D20 on me as you see like. So, um, YouTubers, I'm, I'm, I'm all ears. Please, uh, uh bring up your issues, uh, and, uh, let's, let's debate. Okay, well, uh, while we're waiting for the, uh, the uh, YouTubers who have such courage to, um, to, uh, to speak up, uh, I'm sure that they're just finding uh, their mic switches or something. Uh, there was, a, I thought, a, 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 an interesting objection to UPB that was brought up that I mentioned in the last video, uh, and then I was accused of strawmanning the argument, so I will, um, uh, give it more, uh, uh, I will give it more detail. Uh, the, the argument, it's an interesting argument, um, this, uh, an objection to UPB, this, uh, I think it's um, some guy, ex Omniverse or something, if, if I remember rightly. He says that UPB can be used to validate the proposition that everyone should do whatever they have both desire and power to do. That that is a universal standard, a universal uh, preferable behavior, and uh, that, of course, we would not consider that moral, and that is how we know that UPB doesn't work that UPB can be used to validate the moral proposition that everyone should do that which he or she has both desire and power to do or to inflict. And uh, I thought it was uh, interesting to, uh, to get that objection. Uh, I think that it's, uh, it's an interesting objection. I think that it doesn't take uh, a lot of thought to, um, uh, to repudiate it, but... Uh, um, uh, so I'll, I'll sort of give it a shot, and, and you can let me know what you think. I think the important thing to remember about ethics is that they are human-specific, uh, right? They are human-specific. We don't uh, generally believe that there are ethics in the realm of fleas or amoeba or intestinal parasites or DMV workers. So uh, it is a specifically human uh, aspect, and uh, if you say every, uh, uh, everyone should do that which they have desire and power to do, uh, it's hard to see how that would be specific to human beings. Because that is what a lion does, right? A lion wants to eat a gazelle, and if it has the, it has the desire and if it has the power to do it, if it's not sick or shot or something, then it will go and try and chase down and eat the gazelle. And intestinal parasites want to, I don't know, ingest pitas and excrete uh, methane, in my case. Uh, and uh, that's what they do. They have the power and the desire to do it. And uh, dogs want to uh, lick their own genitals. Why? Well, because they can. And uh, um, so 
uh, so it's hard to, if, if we're going to come up with a system of ethics, I think it's important to have a system of ethics that is specific to human beings uh, and not to everyone. Universally preferable behavior doesn't mean universally including aardvarks and anteaters and <laughs> zebras and everything in between. And so I would say that um, uh, if you're going to say everyone, sh- first of all, if you say everyone should just do whatever they want to do and have the power to do, that is not a system of ethics. That is a mere description of a biological desire, driver, imperative. It's sort of like saying uh, my, my plan for nutrition is that everyone should eat whatever they want to eat whenever they want to eat it if they have access to it. But that's not a plan of nutrition. That's a description of base desire. It's not universally preferable behavior. It is uh, a description of what people do in the absence of knowledge, in the absence of understanding, in the absence of reason. And so uh, those are the sort of two things that I would say that I would object to that. If you come up with an ethical theory that includes a panther and uh, includes uh, an eagle and includes a, a flying fish, um, which the you know do whatever you have desire and power to do, that includes uh, amoebas and and flying fish and aardvarks and so on. Uh, if 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 you come up with a definition of preferable behavior that is not specific to human beings, uh, then you're going to have the problem of trying to come up with a court for fleas uh, or uh, some sort of ethical repudiation of intestinal bacteria or aardvarks or whatever. And if that doesn't strike you as odd, then I don't think there's anything more that I could say. Uh, so. I think that it's important to, to look at stuff that is specific to human beings, right? So to respect property rights, which I believe is UPB compliant, uh, is, is, specifically, is specific to human beings because animals can't respect property rights because they don't have any sense of abstract conceptual reciprocity and universality. They can't abstract to the conceptual, right? So all beings who can abstract to the conceptual and understand reciprocity and universality and reason and evidence and so on should respect property rights, but... If you say all human beings should do that which they have both desire and power to do, then you have to say why only human beings are subject to that rule, which would be common across all biological creatures. So uh, that would be my, uh, uh, my, my thought on that. Uh, I mean, I could go grind it through the UPB compliance stuff, but the shortcut that I would take, which I think is, uh, uh, is valid for that, would be, the, would be that approach. And, and so I'm sorry. Uh, I'm going to just give another pause for the, uh, the YouTubers who... Uh, wanted to so desperately to correct me to to speak up. Well, while we're waiting for that, um, what if you just refine? Dude, it? you were just interrupting like, them. Sorry, go on. Oh, <laughs> oh wait, were they really quiet? What what if you uh, just just confine it to um, humans and say that humans should do whatever they have the power to do? Well, but uh, you you can't arbitrarily just confine something. Right, you you can't you can't say um, uh, every gecko is a lizard except this one. I don't right? follow. There has to be some biological or physical or logical basis or empirical basis for that, right? You can say every animal here is a lizard except for this mouse, which is a mammal or whatever, right? And so you can't say every everyone or everything should do that which it has desire and power to do. But I'm going to make that specific to human beings. That is creating an arbitrary distinction. Because there must be something special about human beings that makes that rule different than it does for everything else. And that you have to come up with something that is more specific to, to human beings. You can't just create that arbitrary distinction, if that makes sense. Because that, that, to me, is, equivalent, is the equivalent of saying, 
you know, this this lizard is a is is a is a uh, sorry. This gecko is a lizard until I put a hat on it, and then it becomes a mammal. And so you can't say, well, this rule, which is applicable to every single uh, animal, is is only applicable to human beings. In other words, all life forms are carbon based, but uh, only human beings are carbon based. Well, those two are logically contradictory, right? All creatures, all living creatures are carbon-based. Only human beings are carbon-based. Do you see what I mean? Because if only human beings are carbon-based, then all creatures cannot be carbon-based. If all creatures are carbon-based, only human beings... No, it can't be that only human beings are carbon-based. Does that make sense? So you're saying that because... Um... Wait, but you, you get that bit. I mean, well, did you see that, right? If I, if I put forward the proposition, say... All living beings are carbon-based, and then I say only human beings are carbon-based, but human beings are living beings. That is a contradiction, right? They can't both be true. Right, right, right. Right, so if I say it is universally preferable that all creatures should do that which they have power and desire to do, that applies to all creatures. I can't then say only human beings should do that which they have power and desire to do. That's exactly the same problem, right? I see. Yeah, that's a lot more clear then. I mean, there's lots of ways to respond to that objection, and I think it's actually a pretty good objection myself. There's lots of ways to respond to it, but that would be the first one, which is to say, well, why why is it only applicable to human beings? Because that's applicable to all, uh, all creatures. So how does that compare to only applying the the rule that humans should not, or, or saying that you shouldn't steal? How does? Well, but of course, uh, UPB does not say you shouldn't steal, right? No, it, it invalidates the 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 <laughs> it 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 reveals the inconsistency of of um, the moral world that you should steal. Yeah, yeah, it's it says any any uh, any moral rule which justifies stealing is logically inconsistent and, of course, uh, inconsistent with with empirical evidences. But mostly, it's logically self-contradictory. But it also validates the moral world that you you shouldn't steal because it's not inconsistent. Sorry, say that again? But wouldn't you say it also validates the moral world that you shouldn't steal because it's not an inconsistent rule to make? Sorry, there are too many negatives there. Can you simplify that? Uh, like it's not if I the say negative you of the other. Steal. It's the opposite of what shouldn't be the negative of what is not true. I, I'm sorry, I just couldn't quite follow that. So maybe you could clear that up a little for me. Uh, like if you, sh- if I say you shouldn't, people should not steal. Then um, that can be applied universally and not be inconsistent. Yes. Sorry, I'm not sure what your point is after that. I agree with you, but. So, UPB doesn't invalidate people should not steal. It doesn't mean it validates, or it doesn't mean it, um, it says that people should not steal, but rather you can't invalidate if I make a moral rule saying people shouldn't steal, then UPB, I mean, it's UPB... That's consistent with UPB, I guess. Yeah, the, the statement, we should respect property rights, uh, is, uh, is a universally valid, consistent, logical statement, which also happens to 
conform to uh, certain bits of empirical evidence, right? Like societies that respect property rights tend to do better materially and and in terms of lifespan and health and so on than, than societies which don't respect property rights. So there's, you know, it's consistent with common sense, our gut sense. It's consistent with self-ownership. It's consistent. It's consistently applicable. It passes the coma test and there's empirical evidence. And that's about as good as you can get for any theory, uh, whether it's scientific or moral. And somebody asked, well, why does UPB only apply to humans? Because UPB is a validator of, uh, uh, of uh, logical propositions, right? And since I've not actually come across an anteater that provides or creates logical propositions, we can assume that it is only valid and applicable to human beings or any other life form that might uh, be able to, um, uh, to put forward logical propositions. So saying that, that people should not, uh, should do what they have the power to do is is just might as well you might as well say all life forms might as well do what they have the power to do and you're not really well no all life theory. forms do do like a lion does what it wants and has the power to do right right and so does that mean that a lion is moral when it eats an antelope I mean, I, I would think that anybody would have a tough time trying to come up with a moral rule for the African belt, right? I mean, it's the, the state of nature, right? And, uh, right. of course, lions don't understand, uh, you know, they, it's not like they can sit there and say, well, you know, I'm going to take up farming instead because it's immoral to eat an antelope. Like, if I were to come up with a rule that says it is moral to be carbon-based, right? <laughs> then clearly we would have a problem with that, right? Because that would apply to a lion and to an amoeba and all that, right? And it wouldn't really mean anything. Well, it just would be like... It, it, it would include things that would make no sense, right? Which is like it would include lions and amoebas and it would make no sense to talk about ethics in terms of being carbon-based because it would include things that ethics clearly do not apply to, right? Like intestinal parasites and so on, right? So because ethics don't apply to anything but humans, then why am I not following this? <laughs> I couldn't tell you. <laughs> I could not tell you. But we, we both understand that ethics only apply to, to rational animals, let's say, right? Human beings, let's just say, because, you know, E.T. phoned home or whatever, right? So, right. Uh, so we, we understand that, um, that uh, ethics only apply to, to human beings, right? So if I create an ethical standard that can be followed by, uh, uh, that a lion's behavior displays, then uh, clearly I've got a problem with my ethical standard, right? Because it only applies to human beings, right? I, I don't understand why that's a problem. Well, I, I, can't, I can't explain it. I mean, I, I just went through it, right? I can't explain it more clearly. If I say that this rule only applies to human beings, and then I can apply the rule to a non-human, then okay. I've got a logical contradiction, right? Right. Right. Right, so logistically, that's, that's contradictory. Right, and, and UPB does only apply to human beings because it processes um, moral propositions which only human beings produce, right? Right. And if the moral proposition can be equally applied to a human being and a non-human being, then the moral proposition 
is problematic because it is attempting to apply ethics to a situation which clearly ethics cannot be applied to, right? It's like saying, what color is gravity? It, it, it simply doesn't, it's, it's a meaningless question to say, what are the ethics of lions eating antelopes? There are no ethics, and therefore any ethical standard which could be applied to that situation is, is wrong, right? It, it's meaningless. It doesn't work. Right. Right. Yeah, this, this, this makes sense now. Good, good. Now, I really appreciate you keeping to ask the question because it is, uh, uh, it definitely is, you know, it is a challenge. There's other ways that you could process this, but this, I think, is the most interesting. And, you know, if I have to do another UPB processing of a, why can't we have a universal moral rule called we only eat fish on Fridays, I think we eat my own head, right? So I wanted to try a, a different way of approaching it. And, uh, you know, it seems like uh, when you've got the truth, no matter which way you start, right, you end up with something that's, uh, <laughs> that's sort of intelligent and useful, if that makes sense. Right. Right. I think I've got it clear enough that I can actually write this down in a in a syllogistic type of way. Good. Good. I'm sorry. I'm just trying to add somebody who wanted to in. Are they a YouTuber? No, I don't think so. Sadly. Well, I did my uh, best. Sorry. To... Somebody. Uh, if somebody else has another question, uh, which they could take us until. I get this all sorted out. Yeah, I have, I have one. I think it'll be quick. Please. Uh, I was, it was a comment. Somebody, I think it was D for Sean, he said, well, you have to accept UPB in order for you to prove UPB wrong. Wait, wait, what was <laughs> You have to accept UPB in order for UPB to prove you wrong. That's what he said. Go on. Uh, and he had some... I'll read the whole comment. For example, if I say I'm an ethical nihilist, there is no right or wrong, and now I'm going to kill some people, there's nothing contradictory about that. In order for me to be inconsistent, I have to say murder is moral, and I'm defining the word moral in the same way that UPB defines it, and now I'm going to go kill some people. Well, but of course, I would start with, I am an ethical nihilist, right? What do you mean? Well, you said that the beginning of your quote or statement was, sweetie, was uh, I am an ethical nihilist, and I would start with the um, the question of how can somebody be an ethical nihilist? Because a nihilist is to say there is no values, and ethical is to say there is, right? Yeah, that makes sense. But even that first one, you have to accept UPB in order for UPB to prove you wrong. Well, that, and that's a contradiction that. too, right? That's like saying you have yeah. to exercise ownership to uh, to reject self ownership. And that is just a logical contradiction, like yelling at someone that sound doesn't exist or, uh, you know, painting a picture that says uh, your eyes never work. I mean, that, that sending a letter to someone saying that mail never gets delivered. I mean, that's just a logical contradiction and you don't need to go. Okay, that, that's, probably, that's probably why I didn't get any of it. I was just totally baffled by the whole thing. It didn't make sense. Right. I mean, I, I thought that he was sort of say, saying... Uh, uh, oh, uh, well, you, you can't reject UPB because you have to use UPB to reject it, which, of course, is my contention. But, uh, uh-huh. I mean, I, I think an interesting question, if, if we're still sort of waiting for people to, to, to get caught up, an interesting question is, of course, why, um, why, do, why are people so angry at UPB? I mean, I have some thoughts about it, but it's, it's an interesting question. But I'm sorry, you, you may have had other things that you wanted to mention, so that was just sort of a thought that I had, but... Uh, um, uh, please uh, go on if you had uh, more. No, yeah, he, this was a, this was a comment he responded to. I kind of said the same thing that you have to use UPB about to prove UPB wrong. And I think that's where everyone kind of gets caught up in. 
It, and that is that that is a tough thing to do for sure. Uh, that is a tough thing for people to um, uh, that is a tough thing for people to understand. Uh, it's that 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 is thinking about arguing rather than just arguing, if that makes sense. Yeah. So uh, it's it's the physics of flight rather than moving a, a yoke or a joystick, uh, and that is tough for people to think about what it is that they're doing as a whole when they debate. That is really tough for people. To, to get the handle on. Like, what am I relying on when I correct people, right? That was my fundamental issue that I had with the determinists, right? Which is to say, well, you know, forget the content of it. Because that doesn't matter. Like, forget the content of is this or that deterministic and what is the science. What is it that you're doing when you correct someone? You're saying that there is yeah. a preferred state of understanding. And how can mm-hmm. there be a preferred state, right? And that's why I did the rocks falling down the hill. I'm not to reopen the debate, but it's like, Think about what yeah. you're doing when you're debating. Don't just jump straight in, right? It's like, you know, if you're going to uh, play tennis, then, you know, get a racket, know the rules, right? Don't just sort of run out under the tennis court and start jumping up and down and, and with a flamethrower and, uh, you know, uh, an Uzi and say, look, it's tennis, yeah. right? And like, think about what it is that you're doing and what the premises are. Yeah. Well, the whole thing is, like you said, when the other ones are just trying to make an exception to the rule. Right, right. I am the exception to the rule. Of course, that is the foundation of statism and religion and so on, right? Yeah, that's what they're doing in all of this. Right, right. Yeah, because I think you could. You could go through almost every... We both could do their arguments and point out the exception they try to make from the first principle they start with. Because that's where it goes, and they just layer stuff on top of it to get, to distract you. Absolutely. And this, uh, this of course, is uh, uh, what happened at the end of the conversation with this fellow, right? Because yeah. right, I, he said, you can't invalidate moral propositions, right? And it's like, but you're invalidating mine, right? Yeah, he says that, and then he adds other stuff about it. He says that, and he, he takes that as we're both going to assume that, and then goes on about something else. Right. And it, it is tough. You know, it is, a, um, it is a higher order functioning, and a significantly higher order functioning to, to think about the framework that you're in. Like it's, like it's like asking a fish to notice the water that it's swimming in, right? And, mm-hmm. and that's, yeah. uh, it's really tough for people to say, okay, well, what is it that you're assuming when you, um, when you, when you attempt to correct someone, right? Because the moment that you attempt to correct someone, you don't say to them, I want you to stop believing in UPB because it makes me anxious, which of course is probably the real truth, right? But you don't say to the people, I want you to stop believing in X because I don't like it. No, no, what you say, you should stop believing in X because X is objectively incorrect and you're, you have the choice to make a correct statement. You are making an incorrect statement relative to reality, which is what truth is defined as, and here's the reasons why there's logic, there's evidence. Yeah. All of that is implicit the moment you try and correct someone, but getting people to be aware of it is really, really, really hard, as we all know from having you know, uh, thrashed our face up against this cheese grater for a couple of years, right? It's really hard to yeah. get people to slow the fuck down and figure out what is implicit in the very act of doing what they're doing. Because everybody wants to jump straight off into this abstract world of, of words and this and that, right? Yeah, and I think even their goals are, if they had a different goal, you know, because we have the goal to be right, and I don't think these people do. I think if you change that, then they'll slow down. You know, we want to be objectively right, whether whether or not that's emotionally, you know, emotionally uh, pleasing or not. We want to be right, and not in a pompous way, but just in a 
in a fiscally you know responsible I mean? way for me. Sorry. Go yeah. On. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, we do. We want to be right. And uh, truth equals virtue equals happiness. Yeah, and we want to be right because we want to be happy. Don't we want to this. help the world, right? In the same way, uh, like if, you know, if we're working to get a cure for cancer going, we want to be right because we want to cure cancer. We don't want to just make up something and say, okay, we'll do the, uh, do the hokey pokey and your cancer is cured because that would not actually cure cancer. We have a goal to be correct because that's actually being helpful, right? In the yeah, same they way, want, they want, want, you know, when, the our, when our dentist is choosing, uh, you know, uh, which instrument he's going to use, we want him to choose the right instrument and to be correct in his choice because otherwise he's going to go at us with, you know, a jackhammer and some plasticine, which is not going to be much fun. Yeah. It almost seems like they're trying to skip over the virtue part by changing their truths. You know what I mean? Uh, not exactly, but but tell me more. Well, even the, they're they're afraid of the you know they're afraid of what you have to do. That's kind of the change step, the virtue. You know, be good, react in a way. You know, cut yourself off from people who are harmful to you. You know, they want to skip that step, so they 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 have these you know exception to the rules. They change the truth in order to get that happiness. Does that make sense? Well, yeah, I think so. I mean, the sense that I get also is that um, they uh, I, I get the sense that it is a kind of uh, uh, a leveling or a superiority thing like the moment that there's a lot of people in the world the moment they see someone who's certain of anything they have a very strong desire to break down that certainty because certainty mm-hmm. and, and it's probably because they had uh, people around them who they when they were younger who were certain uh, who were jerks right yeah right statist or religious or you know just your general generic jerk right and mm-hmm. uh, and so so certainty is a threat to them and so when when somebody achieves certainty they get kind of enraged because they sense imminent threat and then there's a preemptive attack and they turn into abusers. And again, I'm not talking about the guys who are debating recently. I'm just talking in general because, uh, you mm-hmm. know, when I, when I put out statements of certainty, people seem to get kind of mad, right? And I, it's, not, it's got nothing yeah. to do with me, right? What have I ever done to them, right? I mean, if the only thing that ever comes out of UPB is some guy a million times smarter than I um, comes up with a, a, a better theory of ethics than UPB because he read UPB and got annoyed, I would consider that to be fantastic. I am more than happy to be a small footstool for a greater genius, right? That would be just wonderful, right? Uh, uh, you know, if, I, if, if my annoying UPB theory turns out to be completely false, and somebody, but somebody gets so enraged at it that they are so, you know, whatever, annoyed at it that they end up coming up, up with a better theory, I would consider that to be great, you know? It was like, yay, assist, you know? <laughs> I got an assist yeah. in the game, right? And that, to me, would mm-hmm. be entirely honorable, right? But you know, just the people who get kind of angry and punchy and, and, and just weird. I yeah. mean, you know, it's like, you know, just show me your ethics. Don't talk to me about it and all that. Yeah. Hey, Sorry. I'm sorry. Let's let this gentleman finish up and then we'll, we'll continue. Oh, that Greg was saying Sunday show or what? I don't know how this works. So. Uh, yeah, just, just hang on and I'll, I'll get to you in a sec. We're just finishing up with uh, Mr. B. Okay, and do you notice this one guy, like, rock something? It's like in Leet Speak, and he's been, like, spamming comments on the channel. I think he kind of fits that thing with the certainty. And what is he arguing exactly? Because I can't, I can't seem to follow what he's trying to say. No, I generally can't either, right? Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, you know, the, the Sunday shows are open. People can join, people can chat, you know, if they've got... You know, if they if they want to correct me or they want to, you know, fantastic, right? I mean, there is a little bit like, you know, I mean, if if I'm if if uh, there's a little bit of like the alpha always provokes resentment, and and as far as that goes, in you know, in this small way or whatever, that would be me, and uh, so there is that kind of stuff, right? Uh, mm-hmm. 
because you know if uh, if UPB solves the problem of ethics, and of course I I, I think more more that it does every day. Uh, it doesn't mean it does. It just means that I think more that it does. Uh, then you know we we don't need religion, right? Because that yeah. that's the big thing, right? Religion says, well, science can't give you ethics. Reason can't give you Ooh, ethics. Yeah. And of course, Richard Dawkins has a great response to that, where he says, well, wait a second. You reject this, this, and this in the Bible, right? You reject slavery. You reject the subjugation of women. You you reject racism. You reject you know all you genocide, murder, war. All of these things are specifically approved of in the Bible. So you have another criteria by which you cherry pick good and bad in the Bible, and that criteria is available to everyone, atheists and religious alike, because it's not in the Bible, because if the Bible was the word of God, you'd be out strangling homosexuals and raping sheep or whatever the hell is in the Old Testament. And the fact that you don't do that, but you reject those parts of the Bible based on some external standard, that external standard is available to everyone uh, and not just the religious. I, I mean, it's a good argument, but of course it's more of a negative than a positive argument, because that other standard that he's talking about is uh, UPB, but of course he doesn't know it because he's Dickie D and uh, hasn't studied it, and why would he? He probably hasn't even heard of it. So. Mm-hmm. He's a socialist anyway. Yeah, I don't know. He's he's. Uh, I've read some stuff, but he's pretty skeptical of the state. But uh, I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't say he's probably a socialist when it comes to science funding. I'll. I'll certainly uh, give you that. Oh yeah. <laughs> and uh, even is that, that uh, John. What you wanted to say about that? I, you know, well, I, I have one more. I wouldn't. I, take would, a little bit time I wouldn't hang out to, and do a lot of the YouTube arguments. Um, you know, uh, there's there's a board, there's an email, there's a chat room, there's you know, there's uh, these. Yeah, I try not to. If people don't want to do that, then you know, it's well. well it's, I made they're, the they're, comment. They're doing their own it's, thing. It's got nothing to do with the me or FDR or UPB or anything like that. Yeah, I just, I just made a comment for you to see, it, just laughing about the using UPB to prove UPB wrong, and then they you know jump on that. So that's what I was just curious. Yeah, well, it'll, just, you know, it may, may be interesting to see, but but people just get kind of kind of enraged, right? Yeah, they just change the topic and get angry about something else. I mean, there's this they they, they lack the inhibition, right? They lack the yeah. observing ego to say, why does this bother me? This is this is what people need to do, right? And and very few people do, which is to say, why does this bother me? Why am I so angry? Why does this bother me so much? Why does what mm-hmm. Steph's doing and UPB? Why does it make me so angry? Why am I so angry? The moment you ask that question, you recognize that your anger is an internal state that you need to deal with as a psychological phenomenon based on history or whatever, right? Then Mm -hmm. you can stop acting out against me or whoever it is you're acting out against, and you can uh, start to deal with this as an internally generated state. But as long as people are acting out, and this is stimulus response, which of course I've seen ever since I was a kid in my parents and as a teenager in the daycare, when you see the stimulus response, you'd know it's got nothing to do with you whatsoever, uh, that they don't seem to have the maturity or insight or wisdom, or maybe it's a matter of intelligence, to look in the mirror and say, well, wait a second here. Why am I so bothered by this? Why do I get so angry about this? And, you know, you, it probably comes down to a lot of things, right? I mean, frankly, I live a pretty enviable life, right? I get to talk about ideas with people, do some good in the world, I think, and... Uh, you know, stay home with my kid and, uh, you know, count the $12 a day that comes in through PayPal. So, uh, sorry, just kidding, it's better than that. But, but it's, you know, maybe there's envy. Maybe there's, they get uh, angry because they can't get to certainty or they're ambivalent about certainty. And they, when I am certain about something, they get really upset. Maybe, 
Uh, the fact that I don't generally lose my temper at people, uh, but they do continually. The fact that I don't lose my temper with people over real major provocations, but they lose their tempers with people over minor provocations means that they envy my freedom or equanimity or peace of mind, and, and then they get angry that they don't have it, and then they act out again. But but that basic question, which which any intelligent, civilized, reasonable, decent human being asks when he or she gets angry is, why am I angry? Why am I so angry? Right? Why am I so angry at a fellow libertarian or a fellow anarchist who is spreading stuff, 99% of which I agree with? Why am I only focusing on that 1% that enrages me? And why am I acting out? And why am I cussing? And why am I provoking? And why am I trolling? Any, any reasonable, decent human being asks that fundamental question and does not imagine that the answer is outside, right? Because basically they're religious, right? Because a, a religious person stays religious only because they don't say what psychological phenomenon is driving me to believe in something I can't see. Yeah. Why do I believe in God? Why do I have this belief in God, right? Because that leads them back to their culture, their family, their history, their peer pressure, their what a fear of, a fear of, of thinking for themselves, the punishment for nonconformity. All, it leads them back to psychological things, right? Why do I have a belief in God? as opposed to some other god or no god. Well, because this god, right? Well, because my parents taught me about this god and I was punished for not believing and my peers would have rejected me and I wasn't allowed to say no and I was dragged off to church, and I, right? And once you go down that road, you end up with a calmer, more rational, more at peace life where you're not defending the indefendable, you're not reacting like uh, a two-year-old to not getting a candy bar whenever something doesn't go, whenever something bothers you. But... The people who stay stuck in that, you know, petty rage thing are the people who just don't ask that basic question. Why am I so angry? And uh, as long as you avoid asking that question, you get to not deal with stuff, which has its benefits, obviously. But uh, the problem is it just locks you in that petty, stupid little dungeon. Uh, and, and, and what happens? It's not like, what do they do to my life, right? I mean, my life is great. I have a fantastic life, and, and I hope that everybody understands how much I appreciate your support in, in helping me do what I'm doing, and, and in, in often in doing more than helping, but, but stimulating and, and conversing with me to do even better. But, you know, I've, I've got the life that I, I, I have completely dreamed of, and I exactly want. You know, I have a, a beautiful wife. Uh, I have a, a, a stunning, fantastic, fascinating child. Uh, I, I live in a, a nice place. I get to spend my life... Uh, talking and thinking and writing books and having the most amazing conversations with the most amazing people this planet has to offer. Uh, you know, uh, I'm, we're reaching 60,000 people with shows. It's, uh, it's the biggest, most successful philosophy conversation ever because of the technology for the most part. I mean, what an incredible life, right? So this is, everybody lift this gun and they want to fire it at me. And it doesn't hit me, it just goes off in their faces, Right? I mean, this is the stupid thing that people think that they're attacking me, but they're not. They're attacking some image of me. It has nothing to do with me. And all they're doing is punching themselves because the image of me is in their own head and they're attacking themselves and their own desires and their own true self and their own higher capacity and higher purpose. It doesn't hurt me. It's themselves that they're hurting. And this will just make them more angry, but only because it's true. Mm-hmm. Was that your question? <laughs> oh, I've heard that speech a couple times now from you in various podcasts. No, I get it. All right. Well, sorry, we had uh, somebody else who uh, wanted to uh, to bring up an issue or topic. Is that okay if we move on? Yeah. Yeah, it's cool. Thanks. 
Thanks, man. Hello? Hey, how's it going? Hi. Um, is my audio all right? I was having some issues. I've only been using Skype for maybe a couple of weeks now. Uh, it sounds like you're using a yoga cup and a thick piece of rope, but uh, we can certainly hear you, so go ahead. Okay. Um, I was the one that emailed you with a couple... Um, I don't know what you call them, points that I wanted to clarify. Yeah, you want to just read that email? Um, well, I was kind of hoping, so I don't get all monotone, if we could just start with one and discuss it, and then I could maybe see where I'm totally off base, or see if this is something that you know we could maybe not take up all your time on your podcast with. Sure, uh, give it a shot, and you know, of course it may not be you who's off base at all, right? So go for it. Well, the, the main deal with my interaction with you and UPB was that um, I agree with 90% of all of it, and it's more the methods of proving stuff that I had issues with, uh, kind of a logical thing. Um, and I, I'm like I said, you've got so many podcasts and so many posts and everything that I'd have to read through to find the one response that you maybe already had, but... Um, one, one of the issues was like the billion-dollar proposition, which, of course, now is probably the trillion-dollar proposition. Uh, but you, you, were, you were using it to talk about determinism versus free will, saying that you know, a smoker might say that they can't stop smoking until they meet the pile of money, and then it, they can stop. And that's the free will, right? Is that – am I interpreting that correctly? Well, it's not uh, uh, it, it's not free will. I have a video series and podcast series on free will, and I won't go into the definition of it here as, as I work with it. But what I wanted to do with that was to point out a difference between you can't pay a guy a million dollars not to have cancer because if he's got cancer, he's got cancer. But if you pay a million guy a million dollars to a guy, he can probably stop smoking for a day, right? Uh, right. And, and I, I, it wasn't like, oh, and that's a proof of free will, because it's not. But what it is is an example of something that is different between that which is involuntary and that which has certain aspects of voluntarism, or at least appears to have certain aspects of voluntarism. So, right, okay, so the, the appearing to have voluntarism is the... Because I was going to say that that's you know, a proof of determinism, if anything, because you're changing the stimuli. Well, but do, do, would you agree that there is a difference, and I'm not saying that this proves free will, but would you agree that there is some sort of important difference between having cancer and smoking in that you can't be paid to not have cancer, but you can be paid to not smoke? Right, because the original act of smoking is not something that arises from the physical need. It, it gets chosen, and then the nicotine and whatever is the reinforced stimuli that then keeps you smoking. Oh, no, no, I absolutely agree with that, but I don't mean the starting of smoking. What I mean is that you can pay someone to stop smoking, but you can't pay them to be taller or to, to stop having cancer or something, right? Right, unless somehow you could communicate to the cancer cells that a million dollars is an important thing. <laughs> but that's, you know, it's a I, physical... I assume that you're just reaching there, right? Because we're not, we're not going to there negotiating with cancer cells, right? Well, right, that's what I mean. Is I always like to point out the impossible if. Just okay, can you not that, do that? Because, I mean, I want to stay on point here, and clearly oh, we're not going to go into the realm of you know, negotiating with cancer sales, right? Right. Okay, right. So, so there is a difference, and I, I, the, the billion-dollar proposition was really just around that, that there is a difference between these two states. It's, I mean, we, where that leads is, 
you know, a long, complicated discussion. But right, right. but it, we do have to understand that there is a difference between uh, these two states in the same right. way that the there's a difference adult. between the future, the present and the past. Right. Um, I can't conceivably change anything that I've done in the past. Uh, and uh, um, I can't conceivably predict everything I'm going to do in the future. But I can, to some degree, uh, have have uh, uh, control uh, over what I do in the present. Not perfect control, but but some some level of control. Right. Um, okay. Well, we'll just set that one down because that gets into determinism, and if everything is determined, then blah blah blah, all that stuff. So. Well, if everything's determined, there's no debate. No one can be wrong, and so if we're going to continue right, exactly. this debate, let's just drop that one for the moment and and go on with your next point, if that's okay. Right. Um. Okay, so morality is a concept within the human mind and as such does not exist in external reality the same way that gravity or rocks do. Um, and, and that's kind of where I would touch on the you can't derive an ought from an is to say that the ought that encompasses whatever it is that you think is the ought isn't integral to the ought. The ought just modifies whatever you're pro- proposing ought um, and the the actual thing that's being proposed is an is that isn't if that makes sense and the ought just says that that you should integrate that into your consideration of whatever's going on well I'm, I didn't follow everything you were saying there and I don't mean to interrupt you but if you say you can't get an ought from an is you're getting an ought from an is right say that again well, if you say you can't get an ought from an is, then you're saying that we ought not to get an ought from an is, right? And no. therefore, you are creating an ought by saying we ought not, right? That, that's the foundation of, of, our, of UPB, right? Well, because an ought isn't a statement of truth. It's a statement of preference. So when you say you can't get an ought from an is, you're proposing a truth. And if you're saying that we ought not get an ought from an is, that's saying that it's not good to or it's not preferable to. Right, but we have a preference for truth over falsehood, so we are we we get the moment the moment you make any categorical statement about truth, you have an enormous amount that is embedded into that, right? Which is that uh, because there is no ought in the real world, we ought not to come up with one. But you can't. We ought not to 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 assume there is an ought in the world, but that is but that, creating an ought right up front, right? In that anybody who says you can get an is from an ought is incorrect uh, relative to reality because they don't exist in the outside world, so. The, even the statement you can't get an ought from an is is an ought statement that we ought to prefer the truth we ought to compare the 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 statements we make to logic and evidence and so on right so this is what well, I, mean the, when I say you can't make any statement without the implicit UPB thing well the ought comes from the human preference for truth not the truth so you're saying that because everybody in whatever discussion prefers to follow whatever's truthful or whatever's real then there's an automatic assumption of the ought, but the statement of the truth isn't what has the ought. It's the people discussing it that has the ought. Right, but you see what I'm saying. So then if I say an ought does exist in the world, you're going to correct me, right? Well, I, I mean, the, the point that I'm making is that um, that the, the ought is the preference, not the truth. They're, they're, not, they're only tied together because... It's not so much that 
the person's creating an art is that the art is implied because it's relative to the humans. Okay, and, and perhaps what we should do is then just start with the basics, because I, I, I think I understand, but, but we probably should start a bit more simpler. Uh, can you tell me uh, what the truth is? Well, the, the truth is separated from the whole absolute subjective nonsense by reality. So it has to tie into reality otherwise, because that's the metric of truth. Okay, so, could, could, so, and I'm just trying to paraphrase and, and tell me if I'm awry, just so I can sort of understand what you mean. So you're saying that the truth is that which conforms to empirical evidence? Yeah, I would say that. Okay, and... And, and that if you're proposing, because the, the way I consider the, the truth is that it's circular logic, but all-encompassing within, you know, barring the stupid argument that somehow you could see reality from outside reality. So reality is like the ground floor, right? It's it, it's all encompassing as far as all this debate goes, and it's circular logic, but it's perfect circular logic. Okay, and and there would be two aspects to truth that I would argue for, and you can tell me if you don't agree. There is the truth for which we can get empirical evidence. The world is round, right? We fly out with on Superman's shoulders, and we have a look, right? Right. And then there is the truth which is uh, which we do not need to look at external evidence in order to prove, right? I mean, if I say the world is round and we don't have evidence, the world is round is not innately self-contradictory, right? And so we, um, we, we need evidence to, to figure out whether it conforms, whether my non-contradictory truth statement conforms to external evidence, right? But non-contradictory as in it doesn't have truth or falsehood, it's just a proposition. It's just a proposition, right? Now, but if I say of, the world is... relationship saying that, that the world is a proposition, and then wrongness is a proposition, and then you're proposing that they're equal. Right. So, Whereas if I say, sorry to interrupt you, if I say, okay. if I say the world is a square circle, right, that is a logically contradictory statement, and we don't need to, to appeal to evidence uh, to, to disprove it, right? Right. So we agree that those are the two kinds of truth, right? Uh, because the, the, the whole... Truth which, the whole... Which is, sorry, there's the truth which is not innately self-contradictory, but requires external validation, the world is round, and then there is the truth which does not re rely on external validation, such as the truth, uh, the world is a square circle, which is innately self-contradictory and does not, we don't have to appeal to evidence to prove or disprove it, it is in innately disproven by its contradictions. Right, because you're proposing the test. You're, when you say that the world is round, and it's also a square, you're doing the same thing that you would do in physical reality, which is to say that if you found a world that was square, you are then facing a proposition that says the world is round and square, and then therefore you realize that it doesn't match with reality. No, that's not so, what I'm saying. Uh, what I'm saying is that a world cannot be thing. both round and square at the same time, right? Right, which is how you prove that the world isn't round, if that's the case. No. No, it doesn't mean that the world is anything. It just means that it can't be both round and square at the same time, and therefore we don't need to look for any evidence as to whether there is a square and round world out there because it's impossible for it to be both at the same time, right? Right, I'm just drawing the similarity between what happens mentally and what happens physically as the same process. That's all. I, I agree that there's two... I mean, if you separate it between purely physical and purely mental then that's what, that's the distinction, correct, yeah. Right, and it's not, these two truths, they're not unrelated and they're not oppositional, right? So the reason that we know 
that a self-contradictory statement is not true is that contradictions do not exist in reality. There cannot be a square, circular world, right? Right. And, and we know that because contradictions don't exist in reality, and therefore any contradictory statement that claims to describe reality is invalid because contradictions do not exist in reality. Right. Okay, so, uh, so uh, it, it's because of the empirical evidence that contradictions don't exist that we know that self-contradictory statements are invalid, right? Right, well, they don't apply to reality. Yeah, well, I mean, they're, if you say not. if you say my contradictory statement applies to a reality that does not permit contradictions, that is a logical contradiction in and of itself, right? Right. So, so it's it's invalid, right? It's invalid to say my contradictory statement describes a non-contradictory reality. Right. All right, get some kind of crackle. For people. I don't know if it's you or someone else, but if you're not talking, if you could remember, please to mute uh, your microphone. I would appreciate that. Okay, so um, uh, so we have uh, a, a sense of of what the truth is, right? And we also have a sense of that which uh, we can use to to figure out what is true from what is false. And true, uh, I would say, is when um, uh, our statements uh, accurately identify reality or respect the principles that are universal re- within reality, like non-contradiction. So when we have logically consistent truths, that is the first. But when we have a logically consistent statement, that is the very first barrier that we need to pass. And then we may look for empirical evidence. So if we have a self-contradictory statement, we don't need to look for empirical evidence because we know it's not going to be there because square circles don't exist in reality. They can't possibly. And so it's sort of like building a bridge, right? If, I ha- if my math is correct, then the bridge, we can start to explore whether the bridge will stand or whether it's worth building. But if my math is completely off, we're not going to start building the bridge because we'll actually have no way of doing it, right? Like right. if I say 2 plus 2 equals green, and that's my load-bearing statement for the bridge, <laughs> we could actually have no way of building the bridge, right? So the internal logical consistency is the first place we need to look. And then uh, if the statement is logical and consistent, then we can start to look into evidence uh, in, in the real world, so to speak, if that makes any sense. Right, because when you look at the real world for evidence, you're really introducing arguments that either, you know, they add the complexity of whatever your thesis is, and then you see if those are still consistent. That's right, what you're doing. And, 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 since, and since we started with the ought, right? Since a, a preference does not exist outside of human consciousness, right, like a rock or whatever, uh, the ought, which really is a preference... The preference can only exist within our minds, and when we say you cannot get an ought from an is, what it means is that you cannot base your preference like a, a boat anchor attached by a chain to something outside that is external to reality, right? Right. I, I mean, I would argue that you can't get an extra. I mean, you can't get a universal ought from a, from an is, but internally, the whole idea of like for example upb of being of saying that moral um theses have to be internally consistent you know ethical frameworks have to be internally consistent is is a uh not proof but it's um i guess what i mean to say is inside the mind of the person they have to check their oughts with their ises well, no, and let's, let's just back up for a sec before we get to ethics, because this, and this is a very great point that you're bringing up, in my opinion, 
But if we say we cannot get an ought from an is, we are getting an ought from an is. Well, no, that goes back again to saying that all, all, um, well, no, it's backwards, but. Oh, sorry. Um, so let, let me just be more clear about that. We're getting an ought from an isn't, right? Because there is no ought in reality. Therefore, we ought not to say that there is. No, I know it's trippy as all hell, right? But this is really, really an essential point. Well, I'm, I'm trying to figure out whether I need to tie in the whole atomic um, electrons and everything. Um, I'd, I'd prefer it if we didn't. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't think I don't, I don't think, think we relevant. need. To, I just wanted to check. Like it's it's when people say, and I forget that. But it, 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 since since that which is true is that which accurately reflects what is, and there is no ought outside the human mind, we. We cannot logically say there is an ought in the real world. Well, I mean, I, that's kind of where I was going with the Adam things is, and the whole idea that reality is completely um, consistent, absolutely consistent, would mean that everything in physical reality does what it ought. Well, no, I think, no, no, I, 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 you, you, <laughs> can't, you can't put ought in physical processes, Right. Right, because an ought isn't happening. It's well, an ought is a preference, and a rock does not prefer to fall down. That's, an old, to. that's an old Aristotelian idea of physics, right? That there are these four right. elements, right? What was it? Air, fire, earth, earth and water. And, right? and yeah. the water wants to go and rejoin the water further down, which is why it goes <laughs> downhill, and the fire wants to fly up to the fire element and rejoin it, and it has a preference and a yearning and, and so on. And air doesn't go into water because it prefers to stay in the upper air element. And it gave all of these preferences. I'm not saying this is your argument, of course, right? But it's an old oh, yeah, idea that with matter has a desire dry. and a preference. And, of course, we, we can't sustain that as a thesis because that requires consciousness. And in the way we're talking, rational consciousness, which clearly an atom is not complex enough to possess. Right. Um, it it kind of ties in because what I'm saying is that the result, the result of... It kind of goes back to the forest and the trees. Um, the the sense that just because you have the trees together, um, it doesn't create some extra forestness, right, is, is what you were saying. Um, but then I would say that if you did find some extra quality about the fact that they were all together as a forest, then it would go back to say that you didn't properly assess the qualities inherent in the trees, so my, my example to illustrate that is like gravity, is that if you had two balls on a table rolling past each other and you didn't see any difference, you would say that they don't attract each other. But if you had 10 gazillion balls all massed together in the middle of space and you threw another ball by it and it did attract, then you would have to go back and reassess what qualities you were attributing to the unit. So the... The whole art thing is the uh, manifestation of the fact that reality follows rules and that we've gotten to a complexity to where we can propose inconsistencies and we can have competing uh, determinisms or preferences in our head that we then need to compare and say, I prefer this most because of its logical consistency and therefore that's identified as an art. Yes, I, I think uh, I think I followed you there, and obviously you're a crackerjack smart fellow, so I'm 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 doing my best to keep up. And uh, I, I think that I, I very much agree with you there. And 
Uh, this, of course, is is really the the important aspect of or the essence, really, of, of UPB, which comes when you want to correct someone else, uh, then you have to correct them uh, compared to what, with, with reference to what. Uh, and people don't say you should not believe what you believe because I don't like it, right? Because that right. really would not be an objective, right? Okay, the government maybe, but but no rational, sane human being would say that. Uh, and so right. we, we correct other people with reference to the third party called reality and right. the other exactly. two third parties called, you know, whether you call it analytic or synthetic, but but internally consistent reason and empirical evidence, right? Those are the... So we, we're saying not you should uh, conform to my thinking, but your thinking, if it is con- to be considered true or valid, should conform, must conform to logical consistency and empirical evidence. And that, that is just the, the basics of, of UPB. And that's why UPB is bigger than science. It, it, it is philosophy, right? Because it's bigger than science. It's bigger than ethics. It just has, we've not applied this kind of re- uh, consistency requirement and empirical evidence requirement to ethical theories because they've been so much in the grip of, you know, guns, ghosts, and gods, right? So we're trying to wrestle those free and bring the, you know, medieval uh, quasi-science of ethics into the 21st century and bring rational and scientific principles to bear on it. Uh, UPB, uh, it, it incum- it's like it, overar- it overarches science uh, and, and includes all like mathematics. And, and again, this is not because I'm smarter than scientists or mathematicians, right? This is, I, I just noticed that it wasn't over ethics. And when I put it over ethics, it went over these other things as well. Right. But that's how we know that science is, is valid because science is obviously completely about internal consistency and empirical evidence. And that I'm just taking that same scientific approach and bringing it to bear on the question of of uh, ethics, which have been considered to be uh, completely subjective or largely subjective or cultural or religious or or laws enforced by idiots with guns or whatever. And we're just trying to take the alchemy out of ethics and say, no, 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 it's, so it's a rational, empirical uh, discipline. And if you say okay. that it's not, that is an ethical statement, right? Uh, because right. you're saying, right, so so you can't avoid the requirement for logic and consistency uh, with reality, unless you're willing to, uh, you know, be a cop or a priest, right? Uh, in which right. case, you can just wave guns and and scare children. But uh, you know, for those of us who are trying to build a rational world, and I, I'm very happy to hear that you're one of them, um, and may have been one before I was uh, on on board. Uh, that is, you know, we're just saying, look, if you if you want to put out ethics, uh, if you want to put out any kind of preferable behavior that other people are bound by. Uh, or should right. be bound by, it needs to be rational and it needs to be consistent with, with the evidence. I guess the reason why I'm bringing all this up is because I've heard you say that many times. And what I was seeing was I agreed with whatever, mostly with whatever you would propose. or And, and well, the point is that I agree with your end result. But I saw some arguments where there were kind of like a gap in the, like the null zone kind of in the middle. I have no I doubt, like, and sorry, just to interrupt, I have no doubt that is the case, right? I right, mean, and, and I, I really appreciate people bringing this stuff up because, you know, to, to fill in all the gaps, I'd still be writing the book, right? So, uh, you're, right, you said you're that in the first correct. couple pages. Sorry, please go on. I, I think you said that in the first couple pages, and, and that's when I was like, well, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not now suddenly jumping away, throwing the book down and saying this is a load of crap because – uh, <laughs> but uh, but right. Francis like, Bacon didn't uh, didn't figure out quantum physics, right? That doesn't mean that science is uh, is nonsense, right? Right, and and that's why I was gonna, the next thing I was going to bring up was your when you were talking in the death of concepts about the state doesn't exist; it's just people doing stuff. 
Yes, I certainly recall that. Okay. Um, and um, and that's, you know, where the forest and the trees came in. I'm sure people are sick and tired of hearing the forest and the trees, but I think it's kind of crucial because I, I would say that the state is the extra stuff, the stuff that the people um, don't normally exhibit when they're on their own, but when they come together, uh, they create the phenomenon that we then label as the state. I and couldn't it, disagree with you more. Okay. And, and that doesn't mean that I'm right or you're wrong. I'm just telling you that I couldn't disagree with you more. And I think you also don't agree with yourself because it's completely inconsistent. This proposition is completely inconsistent with your, your two balls, trillion balls metaphor from earlier. Well, no, let, let me explain. Because then what I'm saying is because you look at this extra phenomenon that doesn't happen except when people communicate. Like when the cop pulls you over for having a taillight out, he doesn't really pull you over because he says, oh, I need to go tell this guy something. It's because he's got a book of rules. I mean, you could substitute taillight out for anything else. He's got, he has delegated a part of his intelligence to this legislative body saying, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to think as a human being because I have identified this body as somehow superior to me and I'm going to do whatever it tells me to do. Uh, so no, 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 no. Come on. We got, we got to be more clear about the state. That, that It's not a book of rules that make him able to pull you over, right? I mean, I can well, carry around a book of rules, too. I don't get to pull people over and take their money, right? No, it's also, yeah, it's, it's also that the people that are being pulled over are accepting it, too. No, 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 no. It's not because the people who are pulled over are accepting it. Because if the people who the cop pulled over were willing and happy to accept his authority, what would he not need to carry? <laughs> right. No, I understand that. But, uh, well, I mean, we're generalizing all people now to say that, you know, they either do or don't accept these preferences. And some people clearly do uh, also delegate this sense of morality that they could be defining for themselves, but they don't have the time or don't have the will to go through the logical process to incorporate uh, internally consistent morality. And so they then say, well, the law is some like special thing that it is more right than I could possibly be. And therefore, you know, this I'm going to do whatever this police officer says because I respect the law or something. No, no, no. Come on. People, people are afraid of cops. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, they are. Look, there's there's no one who who drives along. I tell you, there's no sane person who drives along the road, uh, and uh, uh, looks at the cop coming up behind him with the flashers on and goes, "Oh, how wonderful! Here comes the person I'm delegating my moral authority to." Right. I mean, let's live in the real real world here. Right. What people do is, fuck. Have I got a <laughs> tail light out? Was I going two kilometers over the speed limit? Has my license not been renewed? Damn. Well, right. I mean, even gun, if you right? have, you wonder what you've done that. That could, he could possibly be pulling you over for. Uh, no, I get that. Uh, I'm just saying that we're in a situation right now. Like, all right, let me get to one thing before we get too far into this. Do you believe that people can delegate any right to protect themselves? I'm not sure what you mean by can. You mean is it physically possible for me to sign yeah, a contract it, for someone else to protect me? No, is it? Um, is it? Does the morality of somebody, let's say, an old woman? Um, protecting themselves by initiating a reciprocal force, does that nature of morality change when she says, you know, grandson, you're big and strong, help protect me against whoever's attacking me? Is, is there a morality that, that, does morality change when that happens? Well, of course not. 
Right, because so, UPP says that self-defense is a universal right, and it is also a right that I can intervene in somebody else, right? Because it's a universal right, so everyone can intervene if Granny's getting mugged. I have no problem with that at all. So could I put that down in a contract that then says that the person that I'm signing that contract with can then resell it to somebody with equal, you know, or you, is, you, is you it can make whatever voluntary contracts you want, of course, absolutely. Okay, so I guess just to end a long argument, or a long discussion about where I'm getting. I'm sorry, this. but but you can't you can't put a contract in on my behalf, right? Well, right, and and what I'm saying is that uh, that we're born in a situation of existing contracts. That no, 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 been, no. Wait, 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 wait. What contracts? Well, we'd have Did to. Did you ever sign a contract? Did you ever get a chance to sign a contract, or were you ever provided with alternatives before you? Wayne, did you go to public? Well, well, it's, uh, it has to do with inheritance. Uh, no, 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 no. You, you, you can't, as I said, you can't sign a contract for me. I can't sign a contract for Isabella, right? My daughter. It's more of a, I, I'm not saying that it's for your, your physical being, but it's more of a territorial thing to where like now instead of an old woman, no, it's no, the old you, woman. You use, look, we have to be precise. I'm sorry to be annoying. You use the word contract after right. telling me about a voluntary signed contract. Right. You're then talking about some other kind of contract, which is universally imposed at the point of a gun without any voluntarism territorially. Those two, you, you, you can't use the word in its opposite definition. That's like me saying, do you approve of lovemaking? Yes. Oh, my God, you're a rapist. Right? Because then I'm completely switching the words as if they're the same, right? Well, no, because I'm dealing with, um, it, it's like if somebody owns both the Coke can and the Coke in the can, and they only pass on to you the, the Coke, and somebody else has control of the can. So uh, what I'm saying is that... that I'm sorry, um, I'm sorry. I just, I, I'm not, don't mean to interrupt you because I, I want to throw you off. I don't understand the Coke and the can, and I don't know what, what that well, means. And, and just, I'm sure it's got a good point. I just, I don't want to not follow what you're saying because I think that would be disrespectful, so I really want to understand what you mean. What I'm doing is I'm going back and re-illustrating the protection of the physical property, the body, and the physical property of the land, saying that you aren't given all control of the land that you think you own. So you're operating on somebody else's private property right now. And uh, whose private property am I operating on? And, and how did they uh, did they buy it from me? Did they? I mean, whose whose private property am I? Well, no, you never owned it. I'm sorry. You never owned it. It. It's claimed by the state and protected by the state. Wait, so some people, so wait a second here. So some people can universally assert property rights and other people cannot. Is that right? Like well, some people you, call the state. How do you originally get your property? Well, no, no, hang on. But it seems to me that you would be creating two classes of individuals, right? Those who have to earn property and those who can just universally assert property rights over a territorial area called the state, right? Well, that didn't exist before. Like, that was free before. I mean, aside from having to... Then you could get into the fact that we had to kick Native Americans off of their land and put them on no, reservation. No, 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 no. Uh, sorry, I don't want to go into the empiricism. I'm just looking at the logic here, right? It, I'm not sure how some people... Like, it seems to me that, let's say, everybody had the right to be a state. Everybody had the right to assert whatever property rights they wanted over any place they wanted within a geographical area, Right. Clearly, that unless, unless work, it right? was previously claimed, right? But no, let's just say every. Let's say we have a moral theory which says everyone can assert property rights over everything. That's you understand not what I'm that saying. could never work, right? 
Well, going no, back logically, to the- logically, because let's say that you want my microphone and I want my microphone. If we both get to assert ownership over the microphone, then it can't logically work, right? Because only one of us can use it. Well, I guess the only way that I could come at that is if there's some rule of getting it in the first place. No, 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 no. I'm just saying. Let's say. I'm I'm just saying. Let's say that we create. Like, forget about history, past, homesteading, Indians. Like the logic of the present. If if I say I have a moral theory which says everyone can impose property rights over everyone. uh, And and everything, just by willing it. They don't have to earn it. They don't have to trade it. They don't have to steal it. They don't have to kill Indians to get it. They can just magically assert property rights. All Americans can assert property rights over all of Canada, all of America, right? What, what, okay. You understand that would be impossible in practice, right? Right. Without any framework, okay, so, then so, you would so, have... So hang on, right? So, so the proposition that everyone can magically assert universal property rights can't work. Right. It's logically in, impossible, right? Right. Okay. So you can't have an arbitrary group of people, some of whom can assert universal property rights and some of whom can't, because then you're creating an arbitrary distinction between people, right? That's like saying uh, uh, some lizards are uh, cold-blooded and other lizards are warm-blooded, right? That, that, right? If they're warm-blooded, they're not lizards, right? Okay. And so you can't have a state composed of people who can create magical, arbitrary, universal property rights, and but then I'm you have another group did. of people who can't, because that's creating two opposite rules for human beings, which is not logically consistent. Well, I'm not saying that they did, though. No, but you're saying that there was a contract that they have these universal property rights, and so I'm just trying to write you. We understand that there is no such thing as valid, universal makeup can take whatever I want, uh, universal property rights, right? Because it it can't be. It can't. Right. Be, it no, can't, I, that's not what I'm saying, though. For, I'm sorry. Go ahead. That's that's not what I'm proposing. What I'm proposing is that the people that went out and claimed certain areas would then come together and say, we agree that this territory is governed by X committee. And Sorry, and did, are you saying that you have historical evidence of that? Like the Constitution, for instance, was ratified by like 0.002% of the population, right? But imposed on everyone, and largely that's, against that's their the, will. Okay, so if you... If, now you're going back to empiricism and not concepts and, and and so before we do that no 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 you just, you're saying that people get together and cede these rights to a third party and i'm saying well i'd like to see some evidence for that if you're making a truth statement about reality that's not logically inconsistent people could get together and cede their rights to a, th- a, th- a third party and have a social contract right if it was voluntary but if you yeah, well, I, I mean, not- happened right so you're not saying that the world is a square circle. You're saying there is a social contract that people voluntarily get together to create a state. That now we pass into the realm of empirical evidence. And are saying, okay, well, let's see the evidence for this, right? No, I'm saying that would such a situation be immoral? Voluntary contracts are not immoral, of course. Right. So the initiation of the use of force is immoral. And if you impose a contract upon somebody who has not voluntarily agreed to it, you can only do that through the initiation of force, and that's immoral, right? Right, but what I'm saying is that you can exist in a situation where you aren't, you're not a party to, well, you're not a, um, you're not a party that is contractually allowed to define, like I can't come into your house or have a kid in your house and suddenly say that I have some kind of control over what color you paint your walls. All right. 
and and you can't throw me out of your house because I exist in your house now. And so I'm not saying that the state is justified in what it does. What I'm saying is that you can't just say it's immoral because hmm, this is getting a little I th- You know, to be me. perfectly honest with you, I think that you're defending a position that you don't really believe in. Because the, the well, stuff that I'm putting forward, you're, you're agreeing with every step, right? And that doesn't mean I'm right. I'm just mean that, that you agree with it, right? Because when I say, you know, no universal property rights, you're like, yes. When I say you can't, uh, you can't use initiation of force to enforce contracts on other people who haven't voluntarily signed them, you agree with all of that, right? And I don't, I mean, I think that, you know, like a lot of people and like myself, right, I have this problem too, right? I agree with every step and then I don't like the conclusion, right? But that's fortunately well, the rolling ball of logic, right? What we finally got to was whether or not the Constitution was properly put together. Was it? No, no, it wasn't put together. It's not. The the question was: uh, you you said that uh, there are these people who voluntarily could get together or have gotten together to do X, Y, and Z about uh, social contracts, and I'm like, okay, well, I'd like to see evidence, right? Like, if you say uh, there is a dragon, I'd like to say, well, can you? I've never heard of one, but perhaps you've got evidence of one, and it would be really cool if you did. And so I would like to see that, if that makes sense. Well, right, and that's what I'm getting at: is that we move from whether or not it's moral to whether or not it exists, whether or not it's applicable to the current situation. And that is tied to the origination of the contract, whether that was valid or not. So, well, first the, of all, it doesn't, of it, no, it, it doesn't matter whether the contract was, even if everybody in the, and you might want to read Lysander Spooner if you haven't, the Constitution of No Authority, even if everybody in the United States voluntarily signed the Constitution and agreed to abide by it, how on earth would that bind anybody 250 years later? I mean, we, we recognize legally and morally that a, a man's contracts do not pass like his genetics into his children, right? Well, no, that's what I mean. Unless, it, unless the uh, property was then passed down, negating the... It, it, if you can inherit only part of property, then... The proposition that we didn't inherit control over certain aspects of existing on this property, that would still withstand. And so the the weakness is whether or not – I mean I I think that you're letting the the size of the amount of people distract you from whether or not it's logically consistent. No, no, no. You're introducing this. Is, let me get back to this original point. I, I don't think so. I think, I think what's, what's fundamentally happening is you're saying enough, get enough balls together, you have gravity. That's obvious, right? And you're saying get enough people together and you have a state, right? I mean, if I, under, I don't mean to reduce what you're saying, but if I understand it correctly, that's where you're going, right? Sorry, I worded it the other way. Uh, I mean, I said that when you find in the grouping of things together that there's a phenomenon, then you would have to reassess the undetectable attributes that existed within the individual components. No, I, I understand that, right? So right. if you get uh, a billion balls together, then you have a black hole. To you know, That's bad science, but let's just well, say... Well, no, right, I see what you're saying. Right, but, so, so what, all you have is an aggregation of balls that then... I feel like we're doing a porn movie here, right? All you have... Let's, let's use cubes, if you don't mind, so I don't think of myself cubes. sitting on a stack they in stack that, better right? anyway. But um, if... Uh, if you get enough cubes together, then you get a gravity well that is, is evident that you wouldn't see with each individual cube, right? Right. But the thing is that with the state is not an aggregation of people. 
right? The state is a small number of people with guns, right? Because if you have to add something else to the equation, then it's not the nature of each cube. You get enough cubes together, you get this effect called gravity, right? I understand that. That makes perfect sense to me. And that is because each individual cube has an aspect called gravity, which you can't see until you get them all together, right? Right. Right. But this is why I pointed out that the cop has a gun. Because what you're saying is not a mass of people together produces something magically called the state, and all you need is the group of people, because what you need is the group of people and guns. And once you throw guns into it, that's important. That's the only thing that's important, because there's no aggregation of people. Like, you don't get, uh, you know, a million people together and, you know, poof, suddenly half of, you know, 10% of the population turn into politicians and soldiers and guns magically appear into their heads, right? It's not, it's not fairy dust that way. You get a million people together, you don't magically get a state in the way that if you get uh, a million cubes together, you get gravity, right? Well, it's not magic because I can show the compounding effect of the ability to contract, self def- the idea of self-defense, defending your property, that kind of stuff. No, but the difference, is, the difference a, is that it needs the gun, which is a new element. So it's not an aggregation of people produces a state because well, you need the you were, guns. Once you, once you, you need the guns, the, then you would focus on the guns, right? Not some aggregation of people. No, not necessarily. I mean, you would have to be then saying that guns are not necessary if there's no state, which is false. No, no, no. But, but if, if everyone's – look, first of all, if everyone's armed uh, and, and roughly equally, then there is no state, right? Because there's no one who can dominate others with you know, all of this uh, excessive firepower. But, but if, if you, you can't use the ball analogy or the cube analogy because the cube, all you have to do is put them together and you get this visible effect that is inherent to each cube, right? It's not like gravity appears with the millionth cube. Each cube has gravity. You put enough together, you get, uh, you like, get a, a measurable effect, right? Which like is, each which is specific has... to each individual cube, right? In fact, each individual uh, atom, right? So are guns. It's just uh, whether guns or not you choose to have to guns. Each individual human being? No, but the option to carry one to protect the, your own interests is in it. No, no, no sorry. And, and, and we're going back into sort of the legality and the possibility. I'm just looking at the logic at this point, right? Right. What I'm saying is that just let me, let me, let me be completely annoying. Let me be completely annoying and just just give you an example. Maybe this will make sense. Maybe okay, it's sure. <laughs> Thanks. And and I appreciate your your digging in, right? Because you could be right, right? But let me let me say this. If I say if you get a million cubes together, they will all turn red. Then we would expect for us to not have to do anything but put a million cubes together, and then they all turn red, right? Right. However, if I say, well, we get a million cubes together, and they all turn red, we get them, we put the millionth cube on, and they don't turn red, and you turn to me and you say, well, wait a second, how come they're not turning red? And I say, well, no, you have to paint them. <laughs> right, then clearly, I'm not talking about something that is innate to cubiness, right? I'm saying, you get a million together, and now you have to add this other thing called red paint to make it turn red, right? Because you're bringing in external force. Right, so I, it's not innate to each cube to turn red when you get a million, but you have to bring something external into the equation to make the redness appear, which is red paint on every cube, right? So you're saying the gun is external? So the gun is, is external, right? The no, gun is not. an external factor that you have to bring in to create a state that is not innate to a mere aggregation of human beings. No, because the, the human beings have the capacity to either have guns or not have guns. 
it, it's already inherent in the individual, not the state. So when you have a grouping of people, it would follow naturally to say that perhaps some people in this group have guns, some people don't. The reason behind it is what you have the problem with, not the because you're illustrating as an initiation of force. And I'm saying that it doesn't it's a weak argument until you can understand that, that the morality of it comes from whether or not force is initiated. And what I'm saying is that the possibility that you're not addressing, that you're just completely missing because you're looking at the evil gun, is that guns are an inherent quality of people, whether they can or cannot have guns, uh, is an issue of whether or not they can use now, that no, no, level no. of Come on. force. Come on. Guns, to... guns are not an innate quality of people. Rational consciousness is an innate quality of people. Well, right. there are tools to liver, use an innate It's an innate quality. quality of a human being, right? Having a spinal fluid is an innate quality of a human being. Being carbon-based is an innate quality of a human being. A gun is an external tool, right? That's like saying plowshares are an innate <laughs> yeah, aspect of a human being. No, they're an external tool, which is completely optional. Well, the, the, okay, let me put it this way then. The, the morality of carrying a gun or not carrying a gun is innate in... is, is a... Um, a quality that an individual can have without a state. I'm not Whether sure what you mean by the morality of carrying a gun. Well, is it moral or immoral to carry a gun? I'm not it sure. Depends what on you, how you, you use see, it, right? I, I don't know what you mean by the term morality there. Is it inherently wrong to have a gun or use a gun? I, I'm not sure what you mean by inherently wrong, right? Because okay. we, 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 we did truth, but I'm not sure how you're defining the word ethics. Okay, so without having to get into what the definition of ethics is, I guess I would say is that is there anything inherently wrong about a gun? Is there anything inherently, I mean, it's, the use can be either preferable or not preferable, depending on internal consistency, right? So, like, if I used a gun to defend myself, you wouldn't argue, but if I used a gun to kill somebody without being having force initiated on me, then it would be wrong. So it's the same action, different moral connotation, Right. Right, but but the ethics would be in the the actions of the circumstances of the exactly. person making the choice, not the, the gun, right? Exactly. So, could there be a situation where an outside party has the just ground to use force if you considered that you existed on their property? Oh no! I look, I understand the argument, and, and I've heard this a million times before. Which is not to say that that I'm right or wrong about it, right? But yeah, the, the government owns the property. We rent it. We pay them, and we're on their property. They can initiate force. I understand that, but we already dealt with okay. that because we've okay, already so, established, and we both agreed that universal, arbitrary property rights cannot be valid, right? Because right. they can't so be valid argument. for some people, and therefore they can't be valid for anyone, and therefore this is not a valid argument to say that we live on the government's land and owe them rent. Okay, so I guess the going back to the reason why this is being discussed is because you say the state doesn't exist, and I'm saying that the state is this chain of contract that supposedly exists, and the way to attack it is not to say the state doesn't exist, but to say that the thing that we understand is that chain of contract was not properly put together. Well, it's not a contract, right? Because you can't use contract to say, you know, voluntary uh, uh, choice to engage and violently imposed upon people for the simple reason of being born, right? That's, that's saying that slavery is exactly the same as voluntarism. You can't use the word contract with regards to the state because the state is not a contractual organization. That's like saying that the, the guys threatened by the mafia to burn down their store unless they hand over $1,000 a month have entered into a voluntary preferential contract with the mafia. No, they just don't want to get their store burnt down. 
right? So you want to make sure that you use the words with precision and you don't want to conflate words like rape and lovemaking. You don't want to conflate words like good and evil and you certainly don't want to conflate words like a violent imposition of political will with voluntary contract, right? That, uh, to me, that's kind of well, irresponsible, and I think what, you should really saying, be more precise. What, what, I'm, what I'm saying is not that you have a contract with them, that the whole reason why I'm saying that the possibility of validity exists is because you're not a party to that contract. They were given control of the property that you it's never It's not a contract. Never. How many times do we have to go over this? You say, I'm not a party to that contract. It's not a contract. I don't know how to make that more clear. You can't use the word contract to – it's like saying, uh, well, uh, guys were sold from slavery uh, in Africa to southern plantations and therefore they are contractually bound to work there or not. But it's not a contract. It's, it's any more than rape is lovemaking. It's the complete I, I opposite. Thought, okay. I thought we covered that it was. That the, the, the framework that we were not going to be attacking was the fact that the possibility that if it were a, con- a valid contract – you wouldn't have you couldn't attack it there. You had to attack it whether or not the contract was valid. So I thought we established that it that the proposition was that it was a contract that of, of physical property, of land. You know, to say that if I again to the example, if I came to your house, right, and I started doing stuff to your property, you could say Yes, but we've already established that the government does not own the land because we've already said that individuals cannot create magical, absolute, universal property rights, because it's not something that everyone can do, and therefore it's not something that only some people can do, because that's UPB. Right? So, well, I think, that, I think that we're going to have to stop aspect. here, because we're absolutely <laughs> going in circles, and I feel like we are uh, you know, creating particular uh, uh, clarifications, and then they get obscured a few moments later. I absolutely reject the idea. In fact, I have a video called The Social Contract Defined and Destroyed in Five Minutes. I have always rejected the idea of a social contract, because to me, a unilateral imposition of violent force upon indoctrinated children uh, is fascism. It is not a voluntary contract, and uh, therefore you can't use the word. You can use the word contract, but I would completely reject your use of the word contract in this, in this form. It's like calling the religious indoctrination and terrorizing of children voluntary philosophy and, and wisdom. And again, I'm not saying that you would support any of that, but, but I think we will have to stop here. Uh, okay, because sure. we, if we feel that, <laughs> if I feel that we're making progress, and then it turns out that we're not, then obviously we're not going to make progress. And that doesn't mean that I haven't really enjoyed the debate. I absolutely have, and I, you're obviously a crackerjack smart fellow, and I really do appreciate the points that you're bringing up. I think it's been a great um, uh, crystallization of of what it is that I believe, which again doesn't mean that that I've won or whatever, right? But but well, I, I don't want to go any further because I just I really do get the sense that we are uh, not able to make progress because I mean sure you get baffled as much as I do by why we keep having to return to points that we think are settled but that having been said I really do appreciate uh, the debate it has been uh, a good uh, a good workout as a so have I and um, again thank you for the time I, I am coming into your podcast um, and uh, and like I said I had I don't know if if you remember any of the correspondence but I do have an issue with the whole concept concept um, and the definition of it, but that's totally outside of ethics and morality, I think. So I'll no, leave and that I, to I appreciate that, and uh, we can perhaps talk another time, and I certainly do appreciate the points that you've brought up. I think it's been uh, a very uh, exciting and, and positive debate, so uh, thank, thank you so much. Thank you as well. Thank you. All right. Well, uh, oh, okay, we have one more person, but uh, just mentioned this has to be quick. Oh, my baby is getting restless. And uh, so we'll just keep it quick, but I will throw the last leg into the wood chipper. 
Hello. Are you in? Hello. Hey, how's it going? I hear you. Yes, let me So see. you're going to stream the video, is that right? Did I get that correct? This, this well, fine gentleman well, has uh, gloriously and generously agreed to uh, at least take a swing at putting together the much-anticipated Oscar-caliber New Hampshire video of my speech for those who are looking uh, for the, uh, the me throwing shapes and doing dances uh, to the, uh, the rock-steady uh, philosophy. Well, what I have is a first draft of the high-definition video that I shot matched to the audio that I've already sent to you, which is, I'm, I'm assuming that's the official version that's on the, on the website now. Oh, yeah. So uh, what I'd like to do is get other people who shot video from different directions and be able to slug that in to have a more, you know, um, multi-camera effect sort of. But uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to send you uh, it's an MP4 file right now at 1620 by 1980. Uh, I don't have a, a way of uploading files that big. How big is it, baby? How big is the Well, part, part one is about 2.3 gigs, and part two is about 3 gigs. Man, that's some, that's some dense, streamy philosophy. That's, that's <laughs> so it's probably going to have to be, you know, be, be I'll, I'll, I'll take it down to 1280. Uh, and yeah. uh, upload it to YouTube. I got a two gig limit on YouTube, so uh, I can get some pretty pretty fine looking philosophy going up there. So what I'll do is I'll send you these DVDs with the, with the MP4 files on them, and then you can take them for what you want. And if I get other stuff, I can improve it later. But at least you can get a chance to see what you, what it is I've got so far. Um, Thank you. Yeah, and you look- what I'm hoping is that we can use that CNN technology when we get enough video views, we can actually piece together an Obi Wan Kenobi avatar of me that can play in people's living room. And hey. uh, eat too many of their potato chips. That really is the goal. But, of course, that's something we can, uh, we can discuss later. It's all about the potato chips, Steph. Thank you. Oh, that's it? Okay. Well, uh, oh, that, thank That's you. all I wanted to say. I just want to say I've got, I've got a first draft. I'll send it to you, Steph. And then, uh, you know, uh, I, w- I would encourage other people to, uh, if, they've got, if they know anybody who's got any video, I'd like to see. I'd like to get a copy of it, not just be able to download it off of YouTube, which you know has already been shrunk down. Right. But, well, uh, it'll anyway. be pretty. It'll be pretty high quality because I can do. Uh, I have unlimited length and up to two gigs per video on YouTube, so uh, I can get some pretty fine quality. And and thank you so much. I know, uh, you know. Oh, shoot a video, match up the audio. I know it's uh, it's a huge amount of work, and I, I really do appreciate it. And for heaven's sake, please let me know how much the shipping costs are, and I'll I'll refund you that because that's the least I can do. And as you know, whenever I'm looking at something to do, I think. What is the least I can do? Christina, you're fine. <laughs> is there anything you'd like to add uh, to that? So, no, thank you so much. I really do appreciate that. All right. Well, uh, keep up the good work, Steph. I, it's, it's all in, in service to, to the cause of, of uh, you know, liberty and, and getting our, 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 our real world back. And you or were able to put that Afro wig and bat wings on that I wanted, right? Because that was pretty important to me. <laughs> Big you can honking, take a look for yourself. Soul Brother Afro wig uh, rainbow, I think it was, bat wings, and uh, one, one hand is a hook. Uh, that is. Uh, <laughs> uh, thank you so much. I appreciate that. And uh, again, do let me know what the shipping costs are for the DVDs. I'd be happy to refund you for that as a as a, a way of showing my appreciation. And uh, thank you, everybody, so much uh, for dropping by this uh, Sunday show. These are uh, great shows. I really, really do enjoy them. And uh, Isabella is still awake, which is shocking. She actually is quite fascinated to watch me talk uh, because she's uh, she she still needs to inhale. And so she's trying to figure out how it is that I could conceivably go this long without breathing in as I shrink down to the size of a small Russian doll. So 
thank you so much for dropping by. Uh, I look forward to your donations. Uh, uh, April can be a bit of a tricky month. I'm not sure why. Uh, so if you haven't, yeah, taxes and, and crap like that, I guess. Uh, so if you haven't donated for a while, uh, you know, uh, keep a philosopher in Bittles. Uh, of course, I, I am losing weight. I've lost about 15, 20 pounds, uh, mostly because of low donations. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but uh, I do I do appreciate uh, the donations and uh, and the subscriptions, of course, are fantastic. So uh, I really do appreciate your continued support of what it is that we're doing here. I think this is the best good we can do with our days, and I really do appreciate and thank you so much for making this all possible for us and for the world. And I will talk to you soon.